we're good to go. We're good to go. Are you ready? All right. Yeah. Let's all right. All right. <laughs> so, um, hello and welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Meet Your Species podcast. My name is Heath, and today we have Savan, and I am very excited to have him on here. Um, we met quite a while ago, uh, but I haven't really got to see him much, and I just happened to be in Austin, and he hit me up, and here we are. So, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Let's see. Let's see how it goes. I think you will all find him very. Um, just fascinating because there are not many people who had an experience like you have had. And, uh, it's, I don't know. I, every time I meet people who have had a different experience than I did growing up, I'm always just sucked in, but especially because I happen to go and like spend time in that same place where you were spending a lot of your childhood. It's like, even though it's the same place, I think it's going to be totally different, and you guys are all going to find out why. So I'm excited to learn more about that. But first of all, welcome. All right. Thank you. Um, I'm excited. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to go dive into it. I haven't really talked a lot about my past publicly that much. I've done talked about parts, but um, yeah, now I'm coming to that part of time where I'm like, I want to be more open about my past and really share what I learned and from my childhood growing up and um, share with the world. So thanks for giving me the opportunity. Of course. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, uh, should we dive in? Yeah. All right. So uh, I guess the best place to start is tell me like where you're from. What are you, what's your, yeah. Where are you born? Okay. <laughs> People always ask me where I'm from, and I say it's a long story, but I was born in Michigan. So, okay. the Mitten State. Yeah. <laughs> Just outside, not in downtown Detroit, but outside suburbs. Um, so, born in Michigan, I grew up there until I was around like five years old. And then when I was five, I moved to India. Mm -hmm. um, my parents took me to India, and we went to South India, specifically to the Isha Foundation. That's where we met. Mm. Um, well, but before we get to all that, like, what was, did, do you remember Detroit? Like, do you have any memories? Yeah. So what was it like? <laughs> what was that place like? Um, in my experience, I was only there until I was five. So for me, my world in Michigan was just me, my cousins. Uh, I was very close with my cousins. So we all used to hang out and have fun and just like go to each other's houses and hang out. I didn't really know much about the city or Michigan. It was just my world of Michigan was just me and my cousin's houses. And that's to this day, that's still how I remember it. Um, had a lot of fond memories from that time. And I still love going back and visiting my cousins there. So, so what kind of, what kind of, like, how would you describe them? Like, um, was it kind of like how if people have a large family, like you get a bunch of brothers basically? Yeah. So we have, my dad has two brothers and each of them have their kids. So it's, it is a large family and we would get together every now and then for like birthday parties or just on weekends. And, um, we would just like have dinner together, all the families together. So it was just like a big gathering of all of us and we would have dinner and then wrestle, play, whatever in the basement. Uh, and then like in the winter time we would go like sledding and, like do stuff, snowboarding and stuff in the snow. I remember that a lot too. 
Uh, Sledding's fun when you're a kid. Yeah. <laughs> I grew I think, up in Ohio. There's a lot of that. <laughs> haven't done it in a while. I think you should try it again now yeah, that I'm yeah. growing up. <laughs> Austin uh, might be a little flat. But <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. So how would you describe your, like, in your, in your like, immediate family, like in your house? Do you have siblings or? Yeah, I have a younger sister. So my parents and my younger sister, we live together in our house. Um, my younger sister was a lot younger. She's uh, three years younger than me, three, three and a half years younger than me. Mm. Um, so she, yeah, I, I didn't have a lot of like, I didn't do a lot with her because she was a lot younger at the time um, in Michigan. But yeah, I was in like preschool or kindergarten and I had some friends over there. I don't remember any of them now, but I know that I had like some really good friends in preschool and yeah. <laughs> so how would you describe your, your parents? <clears throat> From like my perspective right now or back then? Uh, I mean, I guess either one, like, like if someone who doesn't know you doesn't know your parents, like if they just want to know what kind of environment it was like around, like, what, what are they like? What kind of people are they? Um, they, they were always, um, open. They're always open to new ideas. And I, that's one thing I really appreciate and I'm grateful for because they are open to always like just staying open-minded to anything that comes their way. And they specifically, even the preschool that I went to, they put me in a real life nursery farm school. So we had like experience with a lot of animals and oh. stuff. Um, it was a Christian based school, but it was farm. Like they, they had a farm, a barn and a bunch of animals. And That's my cool. parents really liked that concept. So um, what did, do you remember it? Like what, what did you do? Kind of, I remember a little bit of it. It was a real life nursery school. So we had regular classes, but then we would also have time to go to the farm, to the barn and like, feed the animals, pet them. There were horses, cows, um, pigs. And we would, we also had horse riding. I think every year, yeah. I think at the end of every term or something, we would have like horse riding. So like the kids get to like ride the horse. Um, that I remember that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I remember once during vacation time, right before our break, uh, they said the kids can take home an animal, whichever one we want to choose. So I took home a rabbit. <laughs> oh, okay. I, we, I had it for like a couple months. I don't even remember what I named it. <laughs> I don't even know if I did, <laughs> but I had a rabbit for a couple of months during like the break time. Um, and then you would have to give back that moment by the time you go back to school. So that was a really good experience. They wanted me to get like a different type of education, a more well-rounded type of education. Um, yeah, they weren't very religious or anything. And in any specific way, the school was a Christian school, but they like they really liked that farm concept, which wasn't there anywhere else. So they put me in it, and I remember this. <laughs> this is a funny incident. They didn't think it was that hardcore of a Christian school, so they didn't ever really cared about that part of it. But then <laughs> one day, my parents told me this. I don't remember, but one day I was in the shower after school. I was back in the shower. And as I said, I was like singing some like Save Me Jesus songs and stuff that I learned <laughs> at the school. And my dad was like, oh, no, oh, no, I got to go and talk to them. <laughs> and then he went to the school and then he was like, he asked him, can 
my son take a nap during like church school time and they're like oh no 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 this is like this is our main thing oh, they got a little offended when he, when he asked them and he's like okay whatever <laughs> so <laughs> that's i don't remember that but that's what he, they tell me <laughs> that's funny uh, um cool so what about your sister did you were you able to develop a relationship with her and like what's that like at the time no um yeah not at that time because she probably couldn't even speak at the time i think oh yeah i don't remember she would have been like two right yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) but uh later on yes but not at the time not in michigan that happened more in india so uh how would you describe her like your relationship with her what kind of person is she um we have a good relationship we didn't grow up together um like normal usually people do because i went to a residential school like you know and we were in two different schools so i wasn't with her every day we didn't grow up together all the time Mm. um but we do have a good relationship and as all siblings do we fight sometimes (laughs) we have arguments but for the most part um i think we have a good relationship we do stuff together. We we're on, we're on good terms. We can, um, yeah. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, okay, so you went to India. At that point in your life, how did you feel about it? Like, do you remember it being like, oh, I don't want to go, or were you excited, or like, what was that? Um, initially, when I went to India, I don't remember how I felt about it. I was five. Uh, I knew it was something new, and I was nervous. Like every kid would be at the time because all my friends were back here in Michigan. Um, I didn't know anyone in India, obviously, but I think I was also too young to really understand what was going on even. So I went, um, just along for the ride. Yeah. I just went (laughs) with it. I was like, okay, I'll try it. (laughs) Um, and I got there and Oh, now I remember when I got there. So the first school I went to was Isha Homeschool, and that opened in 2005. So when I was five, I went there. Uh, That was the very first batch of the school just opened up. So the reason I went there was uh, in Detroit, Sadhguru had come a couple of years. uh, I don't know how long before that, maybe a year or two before that. And he talked about opening up a school. He gave a speech about, I'm not sure what he talked about, probably yoga. And then he, at the end, he probably mentioned that he's thinking of opening up a school. And my parents went to that. They had no idea who he was at the time. It actually, my dad's brother, um, from his company, somehow he got to know about it. And he told my dad and he said, I heard about this guy. I don't know who he is, but he seems a little interesting. Let's just go check him out. And that's how my parents got to know. So then they all went for, went to that event. Um, and by the end of it, they were like, initially they didn't know what it was, but they were hesitant about it. But then they listened and everything he said made sense. And at the end, when he talked about the school that he wanted to open, they just loved the concept of it. And they were like, this is the best thing our kid can have. So they... They decided right there and then and there, there's a, they're like, okay, well, this is where we want to take our kids there. Um, no matter what, we'll figure a way out. And so then when it opened in 2005, they took me. Um, my Initially, it was only my mom that came with me. She took me there. And I remember it, it's a residential school, so I couldn't stay with them the whole time. So maybe... Uh, explain what that means because that's not really that common in the U.S. unless it's like boarding school 
Yeah. So a residential school is like a boarding school. Um, you, we, we had to like stay with the other kids who are in the school that were enrolled in the school. All the kids would stay together. Um, and they were adults from the school that were trained and they were the ones they were like, we had, um, multiple, since there were a lot of kids, we had like multiple houses and each house probably had around, I'm guessing 20 kids in each house and each house had an house parent. So it, it was one of the, um, teachers of the school that they're all full-time volunteers at the time. Um, so the, the house parents would take care of 20 kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not your own parents. They're just, um, whoever works at the school. So we had, um, I remember I was, I had to move into that, um, house and I had to leave my parents and I didn't want to. I remember, I, I remember that specifically. <laughs> I was crying a lot and people still tell me to this day, they still tell me the stories of like how I, I just wouldn't stop crying and I, like they didn't know what to do with me. Um, and they had to like take me to see my parents in between at, at one point because it just got so bad that they didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was hard initially getting accustomed to that life, being away from my parents, even though they were in the same, um, institute, the same campus area, I wouldn't, and I probably, yeah, I didn't see her. I think I wasn't able to see her for a couple, for that a short duration at the time. Um, but I think I got used to it after some time. It was hard in the beginning, uh, mm. but I got used. <laughs> so were you in the first like year of the school? Yeah, first year of the school, the very first group of uh, many, children that joined. How many people were there at that time? I don't know. <laughs> I, I I actually don't know. I, probably, my guess is like 30, 40 maybe. But that's just a guess because I was I was so young I don't remember and then I also switched schools in between mm-hmm. so by the time I grew up to like have an understanding of how many people were there I was in another school gotcha. so I don't really know exactly how many people were in um, the group my year gotcha yeah so um, apart from you know obviously missing your mom like what else um, if you had to describe homeschool like what's that like. So, um, initial homeschool, it, they follow a regular, um, like regular curriculum. Um, so we have like normal English, math, science classes, history and all that, but there's also an aspect of arts. So we have, uh, we learn, we can choose what arts to learn, but there's classical music, dance, um, various instruments, guitar, piano, drums, um, and then other art forms like martial arts, dance, uh, what else? Yeah, I think that was it. Those are the different art forms. So apart from regular academics, we also got to learn all those art forms. And the thing that sets Asia Homeschool apart from other schools is one, all those art forms that we can learn. And also the, just the environment of living together, living with other kids and um, being fully not being brought up by your parents or being brought up, brought up by someone else and living as a community. I think that really impacted me even later on when the second school I shifted to, um, we also had the similar living situation. And I think that that taught me a lot about 
living with other people and because we all have to do it at some point later on in our lives. So I think that was a really good experience for me to have. Um, it, it's just like you're living together, so fights happen, but you're also friends. You, you fight, but then the next moment you're friends, you're laughing, you're doing stuff together, you're helping each other out when someone needs help. So it was just a very different experience, but uh, I'm also grateful that I had that experience growing up. And I think another thing in Isha Homeschool is uh, the environment. It's in an ashram at the Isha Yoga Center. Um, you've been there, you know, the kind of ambience that's there and it's focused on like inner growth, self-transformation. So, yeah, but they keep the good stuff secret, like the, the swimming pool and all that's, like, <laughs> locked away in the beautiful <laughs> campus. <laughs> they don't let us volunteers anywhere near. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, there was no pool. <laughs> the pool came up later on. Uh, but yeah, that's another <laughs> really good part that like we had. Um, later on, the pool came and there was like a really nice, huge swimming pool. And this whole campus, this whole institute is based, like you know, it's based like at the foothills of mountains and you're just surrounded all around you by mountains. And that's another thing that's a huge thing that impacted me. And... Um, just growing up away from the city in a quiet, peaceful area with fresh air um, was really, I mean, I love being in nature now because of that. And I think that has had a huge impact in me because I grew up in nature, like with nature, I realized the impact we have on nature. Like if you don't actually realize that like we are dependent on nature, then how are you going to be able to care for the environment? And that's what I see to like now when I'm back in the U.S. in college, there's just a lot of people are just so unaware. Like there's so much talk about the environment, trying to be more eco-friendly, living, trying to change our lifestyles. But even though there's so much talk about it and there's so much research behind it, until someone has experientially can see that we are connected to nature and that we are dependent um, on it, until you experientially see that it's hard to care about it because like why would you care if you don't see it as something that impacts you or something that's a part of yourself mm. um, even though it, intellectually we know that we need trees for oxygen and all that but I think having that experience has a huge impact um, totally on me yeah you know it's interesting the way you're explaining that because I, I was just talking to a friend and she was saying, um, so she's from Malaysia and she just recently spent some time in Morocco, like right in the Sahara, like she's with some Berber, like, um, nomads. Mm -hmm. And she said there was one day where she just could feel the earth for the first time in her life, like as a living thing because of that experience of just kind of being in it fully for, I think she was there for like six weeks. Yeah. And she's like, I didn't, realize like it was just not a thing yeah and when i think of the homeschool one of the most beautiful aspects i mean yeah the scenery is nice but most people that grew up in a school like i did it feels almost like a hospital or a prison the way they design it because mm -hmm. you're just inside these like sort of stone brick walls but the homeschool is very open it's got like 
there's air, there's trees inside and you feel the breeze going through. And mm -hmm. I, I only got a tour. I didn't even get like, so I had to like sneak around. I, sh I shouldn't. <laughs> I got to sneak around and see some of the rooms. And it's, it's one of the most fabulous campuses I've ever seen in my life. Like way better than almost any college campus or anything I've been to. Mm -hmm. I, I just can't imagine having that be your like formative years of your life being soaking that up. Yeah, it definitely was an awesome, amazing experience, especially now looking back at it's hard to appreciate it when you're in it mm -hmm. until you come out, you realize like what you had there was rare, like even the type of food we ate, organic food, healthy food. It's just the whole lifestyle was um, ideal. It was like the ideal lifestyle. And now coming back out, like outside in the world, it you now I can like appreciate it more and see that like, I, I don't know. I'm just grateful that I got to have that experience and it's just hard to have that anywhere else. Mm. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, so then you, you shifted schools and I, I just want <clears> to <throat> give a tiny bit of um, setup for this. A homeschool, like we were talking is fabulous it's wonderful and you can still have some context for what it would be like if you know roughly how like a boarding school works but this next school is something i don't think there's probably not hardly anything like that in the world it, at least that i'm aware of and i have no context of indian culture <laughs> before i started getting to know isha but um so uh Explain how that happened and then just sort of paint a picture of what that really is because it's very unique. Mm -hmm. um, so let me start from like my experience shifting in. So I was in Isha homeschool and I was there. I did it for three years. And then in 2008, uh, Sadhguru opened up the second school, which is called Isha Samskriti. And this was designed more... Um, focus on the traditional Indian form of schooling that was done way back in the day before um, colonization and before all that happened and before Western education took over. Um, it was meant to bring back that style of education. So that style was focused more on art forms. We The major focus was art forms. So in Isha Homeschool, we still had academics as a main focus. We learned art forms on the side. But Isha Samskriti, our main focus was the art forms. Um, academics was a side thing for us. <laughs> so the different art, art forms you learned are uh, classical dance, classical music, martial arts. The specific martial art is called Kalari Paitu. And this is a very ancient um, Indian form of martial arts that's considered the um, origin of all martial arts. And then various instruments, uh, Sanskrit, Sanskrit, which is also a very ancient Indian language that is considered the origin of all Indian languages. It's kind of like Latin. No one really uses it that much in India, except very small, like one or two communities in India. Or the pundits. Pundits <laughs> too. <laughs> but even they don't use it for day-to-day -day conversations. They only use it for like... Um, uh, Whatever processes they yeah, do. Yeah, processes they do. But... We learned Sanskrit as well, and so it was fo yoga, forgot to mention, the main part of my life. Uh, <laughs> yoga was like one of the main focuses because, as you know, Isha Yoga Center is like 
like the main focus is yoga. It's in the name. Yeah. Literally in the middle. <laughs> right in the middle. Um, <clears throat> so Isha Samskuti also residential school, location home school. But like I said, we focused on the art forms and academics was a side thing. We had basic English, math, history, um, some science workshops, but we didn't learn them as much as people would learn in regular schooling and high school. We just learned it to a certain point, basics that we need in our day-to-day lives. Uh, English math, we learned more, but science was very little, just some workshops. Um, <clears throat> so the school is set for, a, it's a 10-year course. The first four years, you get to specialize in it. And I'm sorry, the first four years, you get to learn all the art forms. Everyone has to learn all the different ones. And then after four years, you get to specialize in any two that you're interested in. So after going through everything for the four, first four years, I learned and realized that I liked yoga and Kalari Paitu, the martial art form. So I decided to specialize in those two. Another thing that we learned I forgot to mention was Ayurveda and Siddha. Those are both Indian forms of medicine. They're like herbal forms of medicine and well, it's wrong to say medicine. I shouldn't be saying it's a form of medicine. It's a way of life. Ayurveda means um, the science of life. And it's not just about curing curing like diseases, but it's also about living a lifestyle in a way where you can prevent diseases from happening. But then if you do end up getting sick, they have treatments for it. So it's a whole lifestyle. And it's um, part of one of the Vedas, the main four Vedas. Um, so I learned Ayurveda as well. I learned yoga, martial arts, and Ayurveda. Yoga and martial arts were the main focus. Ayurveda started a little late. So my first year uh, group, we didn't start learning Ayurveda from the beginning. It was added a little later on. So I learned Ayurveda for three to four years. And I was liking it. So I decided it kind of became like one of my, like, like a third major. Um, but out of all the three like towards the last two years, I had to focus specifically on one. I had to choose one. So I focused more on yoga. So yoga became like my main focus. And then Ayurveda and martial arts um, were like my secondary focuses. Why did you pick yoga? So as a part of our daily life, um, all of us did yoga uh, throughout the 10 years, no matter even if you start specializing in something else, yoga was just a part of our daily routine. Uh, Initially, so I started, my journey with yoga started when I was five years old, <laughs> old when I went to Isha Homeschool. Um, I may not have been doing it properly, but <laughs> I was doing something. <laughs> Some twisting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I started at five and I was doing it. And as I was doing it after like some years, when I was, t when I was 12 or 13 is when I had to specialize and choose my majors. Um, so I chose yoga because by then I could see yoga had made a difference in my life. Um, the kind of, you won't believe no one who knows me now will believe the kind of person I was back then. Like before I was 12, I was just a totally different type of person. You will not believe it. Even my friends from Isha homeschool, when they see me now, they're like, dude, I, I just can't. I can't believe how you've changed. Like, it's like a complete change from what you were back then. Um, I used to be very short tempered and very, uh, yeah, I used to get angry really quick. 
um, get into fights a lot. That was just, that was the main thing. And hence the martial arts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To get all the energy out. <laughs> um, but yeah, after like, by the time I was 12, uh, there's just a complete change that happened. It didn't happen overnight, obviously, but slowly because of doing the practices and, um, a major focus around this type of schooling is building self-awareness. Um, everything we're trying to do in the, in the Indian culture is about being more aware of what we're doing, being more conscious of what's happening within us. So naturally that was a major focus and a part of our lives. And it wasn't easy. Like everyone, all of us have to start somewhere. Uh, but just, I knew I didn't like the kind of person that I was. I, I, I didn't like getting mad all the time, but it just wasn't in my control or so I thought at the time. Um, it's just me doing that. <laughs> and then, but slowly things changed. Uh, I also put in, took a lot of effort on my end as well, but with the yoga practices, I could see that yoga made a huge impact in my life and it completely changed who I was. Mm-hmm. And I knew if it could change me, then it can change anyone. And I wanted people to have these tools because a lot of people don't even know they exist. So I was like, at least I should be able to make people aware of it. And at least so that they know that such a thing exists. Mm-hmm. And hence I decided to choose yoga as my major to spend more time doing it, but also get trained to teach it. Um, you know, the teacher training process and fellow yeah, <laughs> yoga teacher. I, I think in some ways you guys got a very different training than we did because yes, you were there for, for some of the sessions but you guys kind of had your own thing and i think a lot more time got yeah for sure stuff. since we had the well it, that time it would have been like five more years of the school left we did have a lot more time and obviously being imbibed at that like such a young age just doing yoga as a routine there's definitely a difference mm. um yeah, for context, like the, the teacher training that Isha offers is very extensive by the the common yoga teacher training standards, because most of them are like 200 hours, maybe some people, you know, big time yoga practicing for 500 hour trainings. And ours was like forever. It was like 1,750, which is an absurd number when you think about it, like contextually. And we're living there for about as long as a visa will allow. <laughs> just like, <laughs> we're not allowed to leave. You're just in there. They, it's like hours and hours a day. And still, I, I came out of it feeling like I I know so little. <laughs> it was like, how can I have spent this much time? And I think learned a lot, but also learned how little I know. It was just amazing. So, um, and then these guys are just in a whole different league. Like, I, 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 I can't even imagine the amount of... Uh, effort and time that would have went in because we literally didn't get to see you like they they do a very good job of keeping the kids like separate but i have all these little memories like they'd walk by the little alleyway going to our our hall where we practice and there'd be some of the some scary kids practicing their music or something yeah and it's like we just pause and smell some of the night queen which is this amazing plant that's growing right there and then just listen oh, so good. <laughs> <laughs> but um so tell me, like, 
in the very beginning, right? The school just opened. What was that like? Because <clears throat> it can't be easy to start something like this, even with Saguru, like helping to make that happen. And also, I think you kind of buried one of the things that's very unique, which is that you're pretty much surrounded by like brahmacharis, the monks all the time. Yeah. That's different. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot I haven't talked about yet. <laughs> we'll get to it. Um, so it started, um, when it started, so the reason I shifted was Sadhguru talked about, um, Isha Samskriti and he opened it. He just opened it that year in 2008 and in the ashram for everyone that was there, he talked about it and talked about what it was. And again, my parents just loved the idea. So they asked him if I could be switched to Isha Samskriti and he said, yeah. Mm. So my parents took me and I didn't want to leave. By then I made a whole group of friends. I was in <laughs> Isha homeschool for three years. <laughs> I had all my friends and I was even closer to them because I spent like every single day growing up, doing everything with them, living with them. So it was hard. Um, and I remember like crying that day when they told me that I had to go to the other school. <laughs> uh, and I was saying, I didn't want to go. I kept saying that. And they were like, just try it. Um, my mom always told me, um, I'll touch upon this later on, but she always told me, she told me at that time, just try it until you try, you never know. And this is something she continuously told me like throughout my life after like, even, even now she tells me that. And it's made, that's one of the things that's made like one of the biggest impacts on, in my life. Um, even to this day, even things I've like done this past year, but I was like, okay, I'll give it a try. And I went, uh, again there for the first week, probably the first week or two, I was just crying and I wanted to go back and whatever, but I slowly got into it. Um, and I was with all the other kids. I was living with them and I actually had a couple of friends that I knew in Isha homeschool who had switched to Samskriti before me. So they switched to Samskriti right when Samskriti opened up, but I switched like in the middle of the year. So I didn't join right away. I joined like a couple of months later because my, by, that's when my parents decided and they asked Sadhguru and he was like, yeah, that's fine. You can join in the middle. It's okay. So I joined like in the middle. So I had, I, I actually had a couple of friends that I knew from Isha homeschool that oh, were there. Alone. So yeah, the, the very first day I got there, they came and they were helping me set up my stuff in my room and all that. Um, but yeah, after the first, probably first two weeks, I got into the like activities of what we were doing into our um, routine and I was fine. Uh, at the time it was still new, like it just opened and they were still figuring things out. And that's why I loved it the most. And I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity to, opportunity to be a part of that first um, cohort because everything was not, nothing was set in stone yet. It was very flexible. And since we lived at the foothills of mountains, we would go on walks, like almost every week we would go on walks, like in the nearby forest. And then like once a month, we would actually go hiking deeper into the forest and we would even camp there overnight. Yeah. And to this day, those are like one of the best uh, memories of my life, the best experiences of just hiking, the waterfalls, the just fresh, clean water. And with all your friends, it's just you, no parents, no one else, just your friends and the adults that are taking care of us. And we would go hiking and camp and the whole camping experience of like putting up the tents ourselves. And we didn't always have actual like tents 
pre-made tents. It was just like tarps. We just had like sticks. We had to tie them. We had to like actually make design a tent ourselves uh-huh. using just a tarpaulin sheets on with sticks and stuff. Um, so yeah, that taught me a lot. Take that, Coleman. <laughs> and uh, one of the best hiking spots was um, this waterfall. I forget. I forget what second stream. I think I forget what it was called, um, but really nice waterfall area. So we'd camp right next to it. And in the day we would go in the waterfall in the pool. There used to be like a pool on the top and then a waterfall would, it was just awesome experience, like diving into the pool and just spending the whole day there, just relaxing in nature. Um, but not just when you're hiking, even like during regular class days and stuff, sometimes we would just have, have class in the forest. Um, yeah, we would have our classes in the forest, like Sanskrit class or math, English, anything on random days. We would just, they would tell us, okay, we'll go there. And then our teachers would come with us and we would have our class in the forest. And I loved that because it was a different, um, environment, not just sitting in the classroom all day. And even for us, classrooms are quite open. Even our actual classrooms were quite like, um, they weren't like very closed in some were, but a lot of them were more like open air classrooms. Um, yeah, who, particularly in the earlier years, like who were the people, either uh, some of your batchmates or, um, teachers or somebody like who, who were the people that really connected with you and like you learned a lot from? Okay. So one of the swamis and swami is like one of the brahmacharyas or monks that were in the ashram and he was part of our school and he was taking care of us he was one of the, like the main people in charge um he has had a huge impact on my life because he was very strict and at the time obviously i didn't like it none of us liked it but that discipline that we got from that um that has made huge difference like what i'm able to do today is only because of the that um intense discipline that we had at the time and like one example is if we have class at four we have to be there sharp at four (laughs) even if you're a minute late you're late (laughs) so you have to be there like exactly on time earlier on time you can't come even a minute late and to this day when i like when people tell me like there's something at a certain time I go and then I just realize like that's trained me to be on time where most people if four if you say four that means four fifteen but like that's just like made a huge impact in my life not just that but also like just the kind of discipline we had and he ensured that we got up on time so our day would start at around 4.30, 4.45 in the morning every single day. And we had to get up. None of us, we, we wouldn't want to. We want to go back to sleep, but he would get us up. And that, again, getting up and just having that intense lifestyle, like continuously, we, we didn't have time to think or to worry about being so active or to even, like, think about being tired. Like, there was just no time. We had stuff, like, right after the other, the whole day, starting at 4.30 in the morning until 8.30 p.m. at night. We would just have things one after the other, and we had a schedule to follow. And he really made us ensure that, like, we were sticking to our schedule. 
And that has made the difference in my life today. And that's allowed me to do like so many different things at once because now it's not a struggle for me to do that and to manage my time. Whereas a lot of people I see my age, a lot of people can't, they can't do that much stuff. They just get tired or they don't have the discipline to stay on track and to consistently do something every day. But that discipline is what's got me so much, been able to get through so much and so many changes in my life, especially now, and be able to keep up with what I want to do. Um, it's all because of that discipline that I have, uh, that I had. And um, I'm just so grateful that he ensured that was the way the school was structured, but someone had to enforce it. And he was there with us making sure we did it. And uh, he had a huge impact on my life. And then one of the other Ma's that was also in charge, Ma's are like the female monks, um, about like cleanliness and keeping things organized. Like we would get yelled at a lot from her <laughs> for not like, before we go into the classroom, we take our shoes off and put it on the stand, the shoe stand. And initially we would just like take it off and go in sometimes or for late running late to class, we would just like kick it off yeah. and run in. Um, but then we'd get yelled at for not arranging it properly. And every single detail of what we did was looked at and it, stuff had to be clean, stuff had to be organized. And she really brought that awareness into my life where now I'm so much more aware of like how I keep my space and keeping it organized. And that has a huge impact also on my ability to do many things because when the space around me is clear, my mind is clear. And I can see that on certain days when stuff's messed up in my room or something, it's just takes so much more effort just to think because when the outside is not clear, my mind is not clear. Um, so that, uh, she, she had a huge impact in my life. Um, another huge impact was uh, Sadhguru. He would, um, meet with us every now and then. Um, especially the first few years, he would come a lot to the school and talk to us. And he really inspired me to focus on myself and grow as a person, like as a human being, trying to be more conscious, more aware and being the kind of person that I wanted to be. It was not that he said you have to be in a certain way. All he was saying was be the person you want to be. And he just inspired me to want to change my life and that striving that he, I guess, inspired in me is what got me to switch. When I was around 12, I switched from being that short tempered kind of person to completely different person. Um, and just having, he would have darshans or like, um, satsangs or like gatherings in the ashram where he would talk to everyone in the ashram um, on certain evenings you know about it and he would talk about different things but I think those darshans were had the most significant impact on my life the ones because, that where everyone could come yeah the ones everyone would come to um, I was probably like 13 14 at the time and I would we would go the younger kids would like the eight year olds wouldn't come because they wouldn't understand. But like people that were older when I was like 12, 13, 14 at that time, we would go and sit in those darshans or satsans. And I can't pinpoint something specific he said, 
but just generally like every darshan you talked about different things about life and about striving to be the best person i can be and that really showed me that like somewhere it showed me that if i really want to do something i can do it i just have to be committed and be like willing to put in the work um and he really yeah he just inspired me to be a more conscious person and that's made like the biggest impact on my life and that's what that's the reason i'm doing what i am doing today is to be able to share the stuff <clears throat> the stuff i learned and gained from samskriti from sadguru i really want to be able to it's made such a huge difference in my life and it's not a belief system it's not a religion it's not like he's saying believe in this all he's saying is look at this he's saying that like try it for yourself experiment and see for yourself and it it, it worked for me it made a huge difference in my life and uh, that's that's the reason like i teach yoga now and i'm doing some other stuff but people Sadhguru has a lot of followers so many people following him from the outside people think it's some sort of cult or religion but it's not really that he's not telling anyone he's not assuring anyone heaven or anything like that he's not telling he's not promising anything to anyone but it's there's so many people following him just because it's worked for them and i really want people to see that i want people to know um what's out there and that there's just so much that's there apart from the regular lifestyles that we live and what's regularly taught in society mm. uh i'm curious cuz uh there was a moment the first time i was there not the first day but like that first trip uh that's the first time i experienced the mahashivratri which if you don't know is i think it's probably one of the largest celebrations on the planet i mean it's just like a ridiculous amount yeah. of people come to this thing and uh i was volunteering and there was a little section for the samskriti kids especially like the little kids were there and the whole time up until that point like 7 8 months however long i had been there i was seeing these kids as some like magical things because every time i saw them walking by remember the yashams keeping them like it's not like we get to talk to them all the yeah. time right so uh they always seem so well put together even the tiniest kids i saw someone ask a question he was so calmly just giving the answer it was like a a very i don't know you get a false impression i think because of the <laughs> the limited exposure and and the way they were presented and and kept but uh on mahashivratri in that section so if you don't know during the celebration you're staying up all night right so uh one kid was just passed out i mean he's just like gone another kid like poked him who wasn't getting up he walked over pulled up a cup of water and just bam right in the face <laughs> <laughs> and the best part was that kid did not wake up he was just still dead <laughs> so uh it was that moment that it hit me like oh they're still kids they just know <laughs> so my question to you is what what are like what is something that someone would not know about <clears throat> samskriti and what goes on there like what are some unique things or um misconceptions or something like that 
I think, like you were saying, people think they forget the fact that they're kids, <laughs> that they're just regular kids, <laughs> and that they, like all kids do, there's arguments, there's fights, and they're so secluded, you don't see all of that, you just see them at events, where they're very well put, well kept together, <laughs> um, but uh, like all kids do, they fights happen, arguments happen, and that's a part of growing up, that's a part of like learning we learn from those situations and become who we are so i think that's one misconception people have just like you were saying um but they yeah they are kids and they are learning from all those situations that just like other people are mm. do you have like a a favorite or like a treasured memory from your time there <clears throat> One of them for sure was hiking, like I was saying, I just, that's still, I can very clearly remember, like visualize being there in the mountains and hiking and camping and all of that, that is, and cooking together, um, not like when you're camping, but also like d at the school, like during the year when there were festivals, certain festivals, we all cook together, different kids do different things, cutting, cooking, um, serving and all of that. So I think those are um, some fond memories. Um, and just the celebrations, like every festival that we had, um, all the different Indian festivals, we would have like cultural performances, skits. Um, that is a very fond memory of mine, of performing skits and dramas, because I, towards the end, like the last, I think four years in a row, I got to perform as like one of the main characters in are so every day there's a like sanskrit day of the year which is like we celebrate like the sanskrit language and we would all perform skits in sanskrit and also sing songs in sanskrit for the rest of the ashram and uh, i think i started when i was around uh, 15 i think was the first time or 14 and then until i was 17 every single year I was performing in those skits and that used to be like one of the biggest things of the year for us. We would plan all, like we would practice so much, um, rehearse a lot throughout like months in advance. And it was so important to, it meant a lot to us. And we like, it was like one of the biggest things, <laughs> at least for me, um, because I was performing in it and we would like get all the props ready, like actually put in a lot of work of actually like designing, like, actually making metal props like like sword metal swords and different things whatever we needed like paper mache helmets and all that kind of stuff um it was it was it was a awesome experience that was one of them another one is performing um <clears throat> martial arts and like uh, contemporary dance on mahashivaratri but also other um programs throughout the year so we would Sadhguru, like toward, I think around 2011 or 12, or maybe 10, Sadhguru started doing like massive um, inner engineering programs in India and various cities where there were like, I don't even know how many, like maybe 5,000 to 15,000 people. Uh, and we had the opportunity now that the first group of students are, were old enough, uh, we, he wanted us to perform at those events. So we would perform martial arts um, a lot at like multiple cities. And that was another big thing. Um, 
not everyone could go obviously because they're like they only had a certain number of spots that people can perform like a certain number of people they needed for the performance so we would really that's when we would get into it and be like i have to be like one of the best people so doing take- it so i can get chosen for the performance and we loved going outside the ashram because most of the time we were growing up in the ashram we didn't really get exposure on a regular on a regular basis we didn't really travel outside the ashram we were everything was in the ashram so it was big for like we all were really excited to go out to the to different cities um as a part of performing just going traveling was a big thing so i remember just like practicing and like trying to like be the best person so you get chosen and then i remember performing martial arts with the group we went to like various different cities big cities in india um performing and that was a awesome experience because we got to no classes just performing and <laughs> traveling exploring the cities as we're there um which was awesome yeah <laughs> um <laughs> that that is something i think is quite unique i i don't think there are very many people who would be in like school age who are going to perform for such large crowds especially yeah. Mahashivratri that's what like half a million oh, people yeah it's huge and yeah <laughs> is it like do you get nervous or did you guys just practice so much you were just ready oh no we would get nervous like anyone would be I mean I think how much ever we practice I think there's always going to be a certain amount of nervousness uh, yeah I remember sitting there right before like off stage and my heart just pounding and I'm like oh god <laughs> but then once you you start you're just in it and like it worked out I mean we put in a lot of practice before so I think the most amount of nervousness is right before getting on the stage but once you're on stage like you can't you don't have time to think about anything else like you just have to do what you've been practicing for and that sequence just happens mm. um and i mean there are times when you mess up and you just have to like adjust and keep go going. on keep going with it um i i know even martial arts we would do like weapon performances like um sparring with weapons and performing and we had to prepare in case one person's weapon broke because it happened once so after that whenever we practice we always prepared beforehand like what we would do if someone's weapon broke or something um and it's happened like multiple times or like <clears throat> i remember once specifically me and my friend um we were doing it was a short stick that was a weapon it's like uh we have our first weapon is a long thin stick and then the second one is a little shorter a little fatter one and we were we were combating with that and that was our performance we were doing that and mine broke and i don't think we prepared for that so <laughs> i just threw my pieces and then i think he just like kicked me and i rolled off stage or something <laughs> i think that's what we did and take a bow um there are other times when like the sword broke and the other person would just throw away the sword and then they would just like hand combat and like like do a little bit and end it um stuff like that I think something which uh if you've never seen one of their performances one of the coolest things is just watching you guys hold that like clay pot or whatever like super high and then run up and kick it. Yeah. It's it's just next level. <laughs> yeah, we uh that was our like high kick practice so we would regularly in class we would have a ball like a volleyball or something tied in a net and tied to a rope 
let's loop through the roof. So we would hold the ball at different heights and we'd have to run, jump, and kick the ball um, to practice like kicking higher. How high did you kick? I think the highest I got was um, eight foot, I think. Wow. Seven, seven and a half or eight foot. Did, did other people get significantly higher? Or yeah, it? I had some friends that got, did it higher. Um, yeah, and we would also have like martial arts competitions every year, like nat mm -hmm. state competitions and national competitions we'd compete in, and we would do that high kick too. And I think a bunch of times, some are like my um, classmates won, they got some medals from that. <laughs> have they ever considered doing AGT? What's that? America's Got Talent. You know, the big show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. Because <laughs> I think that'd be pretty awesome. <laughs> it could be. I think India has another version of it. I forgot what it's called. But India has a ver version of that just like that. Um, I don't know why I never thought of it. I don't know. I don't know if we're good enough for that. <laughs> you could be. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, I have no doubt. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's let's uh, pitch for the next <laughs> uh, Anyway, um, okay. Uh, so Savan has to go. So we're going to do this as the end of part one, and there's going to be a part two, and it's going to start right now. All right, welcome back. Uh, we just took a break, but now we're back. As you can tell, if you're watching, um, different clothes, his hair's grown out, all that. It's been a while, but we're going to pick up where we left off. So. Uh, we were talking about this point at which, uh, during your time at Samskriti, you guys picked up something called Brahmacharya. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe it'd be nice just to set some context, like, what does that even mean? And why would that be something that you would do in a school? Like, why would you have kids go through that? Yeah. So, um, the period was of brahmacharya that's what it was called like you said is the time where we spend time focus more on ourselves and our self-development um, we usually start between um, the age ages of like 15 or 16 is when um, the children usually start at isha samskriti uh, I started when I was 12, but most people start when they're around 15, I think, 15 or 16. And it's a. Uh, was that two just because you were in the first batch? Uh, not because I was in the first. Even my batch people, all, all the people that were in my group, um, the first group of students to go through Ramacharya were all older than me. I was only one at that age. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know why, but Sadhguru said I was ready, so oh. <laughs> he okay. said I could start. <laughs> so I started, uh, but it's a time dedicated more on spiritual growth or focusing on your inner growth, kind of. It's until then we were focusing more on different art forms and some different like um, academics and art forms and stuff, and we still continue learning those art forms. But this time was dedicated more towards um, our inner growth and like really taking time and building that self-awareness and looking at ourselves. And I think that's super important um, because it creates a solid foundation. It created a solid foundation within me that to this day um, I still 
use that solid foundation um, and it's helped me in so many ways and doing so many different things. Uh, I think it creates, having that solid foundation is important because no matter what we do in the world, there's always going to be situations that are not in our control. And the only thing that we do have in our control is ourselves. So I think it's helped me take on so many different things and not be too affected by outer situations. And because I'm not affected as much, I still do it to a certain extent, but I'm not affected as much. So in that sense, it helps me take on so many different things at the same time, do so many different things. And I'm able to keep myself going and continue to do so many different things because I have this sort of strong foundation where how I am within myself, I have a certain, it's not, I mean, it still does get affected by outer situations, but I think it's a lot less than it would have if I did not go through that um, training. And in a way, it's a certain, it's like monkhood. That's a way of explaining it in English. But I know that has a lot of misconceptions um, to it. But that could be a way of describing it. Um, yeah, we do a different type of yoga practices during the time just to help focus on ourselves more and build that self-awareness. Um, and we usually do it for a minimum of two years, um, but students can continue if they want for um, a little more time until they leave. I did it for a total of six years, which um, I think is kind of exceptional. My, I think my years, like the people in my group also did it for around that much time, some of them, but I'm not sure. I don't think everyone's doing it for that long. I think it's mostly two to four years. Um, or what students are mostly doing and yeah it's made all the difference for me and I don't think it stopped there uh, a lot of the stuff I gained from that and a lot of perspectives I still keep to this day um, maybe not the same yoga practices but a lot of the I mean the way I look at life has continued on um, from there and even to this day I can see the benefits of it and mm. I want to continue um, to have that awareness and keep living in that way in, in a certain context, in a certain way. Mm. Could you give, um, I don't know if it's something that can be articulated or not, but the experience itself, does it give you like certain insights into yourself or maybe like we all have those points in our life where we just like oh i've been dumb okay i just realized this thing you know was it something like that or was it something else um i know i mentioned earlier when we were talking in the previous part about how yoga made a significant impact in my life and i talked about how i used to be super um short-tempered and angry and then when i was around 12 or 13 a complete shift happened and that was right at that time when I was 12, I started um, the Brahmacharya and there was a lot of, I put a lot of effort into like really being aware when I get angry and stuff and really trying to change myself. So I think that definitely helped in that way. I mean, com I changed completely, like a whole <laughs> complete change. And I think the practices and just the different things that we were doing, <clears throat> taking, and we were, we would take, we had more time for doing sadhana or yoga practices. And that helped me uh, 
build that self-awareness. I don't know exactly how to explain it, but to give an example, that is an example of how, like what that process did to me and how it helped me change. It helped me focus on myself more and change, become who I wanted to be um, and take away certain compulsions. Um, like I was saying, it's about building self-awareness and in that process you're, you're like trying to take away some of the compulsions you have because you're being more aware. And that was a compulsion I had. And it just helped me be more of the kind of person I wanted to be by being more aware. And slowly that shift happened. Mm -hmm. Were there any like um, particular challenges you had to overcome at that time? I mean, everyone has them when you're a teenager, right? I think, I mean, that itself was a challenge, trying to change, trying to be aware every time I got angry and like that took, it didn't happen overnight. It took time. Like it slowly happened. Um, it wasn't a quick just change overnight. And that took a lot of effort. It was a challenge to constantly be aware of when I compulsively react in a certain way to keep catching myself and the next time trying to catch myself before it comes out. And I don't know. I mean, it's hard to <laughs> properly say like exactly what it was, it was just, because it's just an experience, but that definitely was a challenge. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was a challenge and it took a lot of effort and sadhana, but it happened. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think for a lot of people, when you're in your teenage years, especially like the high school range, it's when a lot of people start dating and hormones are flying, all that kind of stuff. So it, I can't imagine if everyone's in Brahmachari, it's the same experience. So what was that time like for you guys in that aspect? Or maybe just for you, I don't, maybe you can't answer for everybody, but. Yeah, um, I think that those compulsions are there for everyone, um, biologically, that happens at that age. But I think for us, the focus, the importance was to focus, use that energy um, towards developing ourselves. So also, we had a lot of physical activity, which um, made use, we would make use of that energy and like towards other things, towards like martial arts or our days itself, like I mentioned earlier, were very intense, long days from, we'd get up super early, long days in the sense, not long days, but <laughs> it would feel very short, but we had like early morning to night and a lot of physical activity. So at that time, I guess we just um, focused our energy towards, we were very physically engaged, so we didn't have time to think about other stuff. Um, but yes, during that time we didn't date, we weren't in relationships or anything at the time. It was all, uh, we had to focus on ourselves and it was difficult. I mean, we all have the compulsion, but Sadhguru always talked about the significance of focusing on ourselves and developing ourselves. And that always inspired me, at least for me, that's how I continue to try to keep my focus and do what I had to do because I needed those, like, those pushes of motivation every once in a while. And Sadhguru, we had many times where Sadhguru would talk to us, um, or, like, even in the satsangs for the whole ashram. Um, 
it just showed me the, the like the reasoning behind it and the importance of it and how that would impact my life later at least he tried to explain it and it made sense to me so i just tried my best to stay focused and yeah mm. um if there was somebody who was uh like would you say that probably there's a reason that age is when um the brahmachari is put in place like to help you i, I guess would you say like channel the energy into something more productive yeah i think that at that age we have the most amount of energy and we're still malleable so i think that's why that that is the age range where we do it because we have a lot of energy that we can use towards something else and we're not still set in stone we're still flexible we can still change and it's easier to um we're still in that development phase so i think that's the reason at that age we do it and it comes back to a lot of now you see a lot of people like at my age like right now i'm 23 right now but like around 20 23 years maybe even older you you see a lot of people like a lot of people talking about they've been through relationships and all that and now they're like but i don't know who i am like i don't first i need to figure out who i am and feel complete on my own before i get back into a relationship and i think those early years of development focusing on ourselves helped us do that early on instead of realizing later on that first something's missing within me and i'm trying to fill that by trying to get something from someone else and i think for me focusing on myself early on helped me learn more about myself and because of that solid foundation that i was talking about i think i feel more complete on my own more pleasant where i'm not trying to my happiness shouldn't depend on someone else i mean you can share your happiness but i don't think i as long as it's dependent on someone else your life is in their hands your your sanity is in their hands your pleasantness is in their hands so they like once they're gone you don't have control over it and that's not efficient that's not like i mean <laughs> it's not the best way to do it because it, you can't i mean you're the only one that you have for yourself so i think yeah those years really helped me um set that foundation to i mean i'm not i can't say that i'm perfect and i have all of it set but i can definitely say that if i didn't do that i wouldn't be where i in the situation that i am today i would be a lot worse and um i think not a lot worse but i would like i wouldn't uh it would be different it wouldn't be the same i can see the benefit of it now and can see that if i didn't do that then i wouldn't i would still maybe be lost in trying to figure out who i am and looking in all the wrong directions to find out who i am or yeah mm. um do you have a uh like a favorite memory from that period or maybe a profound moment or something like that mm It's been, <laughs> it's been a while since I've thought about that. Let me. <laughs> uh, 
there were many moments. So I don't think there was a specific moment, but there are many different times during my years growing up there and when I was in that period of Brahmacharya that I experientially I could see that I am there's something more than just this body and this mind and it's hard <laughs> that's why I never talk about it I don't tell people that <laughs> because immediately they'll start thinking oh man this guy is crazy <laughs> or <laughs> this is just some mumbo jumbo stuff um, but there is a certain experience through like certain yoga practices and the Samyama program which is one of the yoga programs in the ashram where you can clearly see that there is you don't know what it is but you can see that there is something you're not just your body and your mind you can see a certain awareness that's separate from it and that was a very impactful moment for me or profound moment because I think realizing that is very important because otherwise we get stuck in if my identity is stuck to this body or I think I'm just this, then when I die, is that it? Like, I don't know, but it's like you can't take this body with you when you die. You can't take anything that you, that like any material stuff, you can't take anything with you. But if I don't, the earlier we realize that there's something more, I think the quicker we'll start spending time doing things that are more important to us and not just, I feel like if I didn't have that experience and I would think my body, all the stuff, all my life would be like surrounded just by the stuff that I, the material stuff that I have. And at the end, that doesn't really matter because you don't really have any of that. Um, so I think that was a very important experience for me to realize that and that also set a good foundation um, for me to continue seeking. I still don't know, but I know there is something more. Mm. Um, so you were in this for, you said six years, right, roughly? Yeah, six years. What was it like to come out of that? Um, initially it was very hard because I knew I was on a certain path and I had a lot of other, like my, um, classmates, the people that were in my group together that we started and, um, I didn't want to, it felt like we were united as one group, all helping each other grow, um, in our own, like help each other self-develop like and support each other in whichever way and leaving that community that group felt it, it didn't feel that good it was I was like I don't want to leave but at the same time I knew that it was time that I shared what I got what I got from my education in Isha Samskriti so my six years ended right when I finished Samskriti so I from when I started the, the Brahmacharya period until I finished school, I did it for six years. Um, so when I did it, I was done with my schooling. When I left, finished the Brahmacharya, I was also done with my entire schooling and I was going out into the world. And I knew that the whole point of Isha Samskriti and Sadhguru's vision for Isha Samskriti was to share this with the world. And deep down somewhere I knew that this is what I have to do. Like. I've gained all of this and it's made such a big difference in my life. And I really 
want to share this with people. And as much as I love being in the ashram, being in that space around those people, I knew that I just had to go out and give it to more people. Um, so it, it was hard initially, but deep down knowing how it impacted me and how I can impact so many more people that, that motivated me, that pushed me to be willing to step out and do whatever I have to do. And also, again, because of that solid foundation that I said I built, it was easier for me to transition and continue because at the end of the day, I knew that um, wherever I go, this is going to be with me. The practices that I'm doing, the support that I gained is for my life, like it's support that I have for the rest of my life. And anytime I need it, I have these tools um, to go back to, to use, to help myself. So knowing that I think helped me in some ways. Yeah. Mm. Um, before we move on to after Samskriti, is there anything else you'd like to share or feel like would be interesting for people to know? Another important thing I gained from Samskriti was the perspective on Indian culture and seeing Indian culture as not a religion. Hinduism ultimately isn't a religion. It's the term Hinduism, the ism at the end of it was just added later on when it was westernized, when the British came and whatever. But the most important thing, I am a very skeptical and logical person where I will always question things that are done. And in Samskriti, every time I questioned why things were certain, why certain things were done in the Indian culture in certain ways, there was always an explanation to it. And there was always a sort of like scientific basis to it that made total sense. And that just, <laughs> because at the beginning it would be like, I would keep questioning everything. I was like, why are they doing it that way? People are just doing it because everyone's doing it. But then later on, as I learned, as I grew, grew up and started learning about the significance behind all of that, it all made sense. And Sadhguru always talks about the significance. And he's always saying like, it's not about belief, it's about what works. Do what works for you, experiment for yourself. And if it works, keep it. If it doesn't work, let it go. So I think there's a huge misconception about a lot of stuff in the Hindu culture. And the Hindu culture is built upon spirituality as the basis. And they wanted it, they wanted everyone to have it. So they integrated it into their daily life, into their lifestyle which most people in India, 90%, I would say, at least, I think 90% don't know the significance of what they're doing. They think it's a religion. They think it's a belief. They think it's some God because of some God does something, they're doing something. But it's, I think it's really important to understand that there is a reasoning behind, there is a logical, there is an impact on the system. It's not some other like <laughs> belief or other dimension or something. It's just, they understood how the human body works, how the system works. And there's things we can do in our daily lives that will help us very small tips and the way we eat, the way we wake up, the way we do everything in our lives that can help us in so many different ways. And I think people, this knowledge has to be passed on to people because it can help people. They don't need to do anything extra, just their daily lives. If they make some tweaks, it can 
like make such a big difference in their lives, especially in when there's so much, so many issues with mental health. And now I think they're saying that there's a mental health pandemic coming up. So I think it's, that's a very important thing that I gained from Samskriti. And I learned that there is a significance behind everything we do. And um, I'm very fortunate to have gone through that uh, education because without that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be following anything our culture has brought down to us. If I was not in that school, if I was just raised here, I'd be like, oh, that's all nonsense. That's just belief. Um, but it's just stuff my parents talk about. Or whatever. Yeah, it's just people do. People have been doing because everyone does. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just amazing to see how much understanding and significance there is behind what's being done. Mm. Um, I have one more question. But have you seen Harry Potter? I think I saw uh, the first part and probably fell asleep. In the <laughs> <laughs> it was a long time ago when I was a lot younger. And yeah, I, I maybe saw the whole first part, but I haven't seen all of them. Okay. I, I only bring it up because um, I think there are many people throughout my time at Isha who kind of said like, you know, this place is a bit like Hogwarts, that school that he goes to, because there's a wizard <laughs> with gray hair and a beard, and there's like magic potions, which is like the Sitta medicine. The medicines. <laughs> and there's like these. Um... <laughs> we had a friend who's Lithuanian, and uh, his name's Tuja. He said, there's capes and potions, because <laughs> the, the shawls that they give for some of the process is kind of like a cape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you've got the Sitta medicine. So I, I just thought it was funny, and I was curious. Um, but since you haven't really seen Harry Potter, <laughs> never mind, we'll skip that. <laughs> um, anyway, so as you got closer to the time that you were ready to leave, what did you think about doing next? Yeah, so when I finished, um, so I specialized in yoga and martial arts, and I was also learning Ayurveda, Indian form of medicine. Um, well, calling it form of medicine isn't the right way to describe it. it. Ayurveda means the science of life, and it's it's a very holistic way of looking at medicine. It's like living a lifestyle so you can prevent diseases from happening in the first place. But then if diseases happen, there's a way to treat them, treat the diseases with various herbal medicines and stuff. So I was learning Ayurveda and I only learned it, I was learning it for the, like the last three or four years when I, I was in Samskriti and I liked it. Um, I found it really interesting. And at the time that was like kind of my major focus. Since I had already focused on yoga and martial arts, I wanted to spend more time with the Ayurveda. And so I decided to shadow a doctor in India, an Ayurvedic doctor. Um, I spent, so I finished, I finished Samskriti and then I spent almost a year, I think. Yeah, I spent another year um, just shadowing a doctor, continuing to learn Ayurveda from two different doctors, actually. And I also um, volunteered in the Hatha Yoga teacher training for that year because I also wanted to focus a little bit more on yoga. Um, and then around, so I finished Samskriti in 2018 and then I started 
um, shadowing the doctors and volunteering at the Hatha Yoga School. And then in 2019, in around April or May, uh, I was came back to the U.S. I was only coming with the intention of coming to visit just for a few, like maybe one or two months, just to visit my family, my cousins, and everyone just as a vacation. That's That was the idea when I came. I came and I was just think, still thinking about what to do. <clears throat> and I knew I wanted to do something with the Ayurveda. So I learned about in the Ayurvedic Institute in the U.S., which is at the time it was located in New Mexico. And I have some relatives that work at the Institute. They helped start it and they're supporting in various aspects of it. So they told me to come. So I went there and there's a very famous doctor. His name's Dr. Ladd, Vasant Ladd. Uh, he's been in the U.S. He's kind of the person that brought Ayurveda to the U.S. and made it more popular. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, very well-known person in the Ayurvedic world, especially in the U.S. So he he was teaching classes there. So they have uh, where they train people to become doctors, and they also have treatment for people that want to get uh, treated. So I went there, spent uh, three days or something, just observing the classes he was teaching and stuff, and figuring out like if I wanted to do Ayurveda, how I would be able to practice in the U.S., and I found out that there isn't really a way to fully practice Ayurveda in the U.S. What do you mean? Um, you can practice Ayurveda in its entire, like, completely because of certain laws and regulations in the U.S. And I needed to have some sort of other medical degree, a regular, like, a doctorate, like, become a doctor or a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant, something like that, one mm -hmm. of those degrees, and then I can practice Ayurveda with it. Um, <clears throat> so when I found that out, I was still, and I wasn't fully set on Ayurveda. I knew I found it interesting, but I was still open-minded and still open to other things. And so I realized if I wanted to do Ayurveda in the U.S., I needed to go through college and do, um, like, medical school or whatever. So I started looking into colleges <clears throat> and then I was like, initially I didn't have any intention of doing college. That wasn't on my mind at all. Mm. But I was like, why not? Let me try. Um, I was open to it and I hadn't done any formal, like whatever usually people go through, like in school. And I didn't go through any formal education. So I was like, let me try it, um, see if I like it. And if not, then I can stop. And it was, so I started... So that's when the change happened. I wasn't planning on staying in the U.S., but that's when I decided to stay back. And I started community college in the U.S. And then, yeah. Hmm. So what was that like going to a, a college here after not being in any sort of like usual type of yeah. school? Without even doing high school. <laughs> yeah. Did you have to, like, were you... Like a high school degree kind of equivalent? or So in Samskriti, towards the end, they said we could do open schooling. Um, optionally, if anyone wanted to, you could do open schooling and get a high school diploma from that. So since I was from the U.S., I did the GED. Um, a lot of my friends did an Indian version of that. So I just had to like sign up online, and I got the book mailed to me, and I just studied um, using the book. It wasn't that hard. Um, there was some like math I needed to learn a little more. There was more stuff that I hadn't learned before. 
But I also had the support of some of my teachers in Isha Samskuti, like my math teachers would help me and teach me that stuff. So I had some support. We could use support from teachers. So during my last one or two years, I did the GED in Samskuti and I completed it by the time I was done with Samskuti. So I had that as a high school diploma. But it still isn't as much as what people learn regularly in high school. It, the GED doesn't have as much content. It has like a certain extent, the basic, basics, but not everything that people usually do. You didn't get field day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if Sean knows what that is. It's not important. Um, but so I did, yeah, I did the GED, came back, and I was looking, at, looking into colleges and then I decided to start with community college just because I still didn't know what I wanted to major in mm-hmm. and it's significantly cheaper. So because it's cheaper, I could still experiment, take different classes and see what I wanted to do because I had I'd never had exposure to the normal subjects. So I started community college. It was very, I was very nervous before starting it because I was like, I don't know if I'm going to understand what's going on. <laughs> I haven't even gone through high school like all these people have. It was, yeah, I was like very nervous before doing it. But I always remembered something my mom always told me. And to this day, I still go by it. She always said, if you never know until you try. So don't say no before trying. And I just pushed myself to try college and there was no, like, if I didn't like it, if I couldn't, didn't want to do it, I, I could just leave at any time. So I started community college. Um, before, actually, before doing that, I needed to take an assessment. So it was either the SAT, ACT, or the Texas State Initiative exam, the TSI exam for the state of Texas. So I had to choose one of the three. And I looked into it a little bit. The TSI seemed the like the easiest way, so I was like, "Okay, I'll do that." <laughs> sort of. And I still, even for that, I needed to prepare. So I didn't know everything that I needed, especially in terms of math and some science. So I spent like I think two months um, <clears throat> in April and May at that time when I was here. I spent two months just learning online on my own through Khan Academy, and my dad also helped really? me. Yeah. How'd you like it? I loved it. Khan Academy is awesome. Um, yeah, he explains stuff really well. I, yeah, it was awesome. So, yeah, Khan Academy, and then my dad helped me a lot. He used to teach math, and um, he was a chemical engineer, so he was really good with math and all that kind of stuff. Fair enough. <laughs> and he used to teach that in Isha Homeschool at the ashram. So he helped me out with a lot of the stuff. He spent time with me. Whenever he got back from work, he would just spend an evening with me, um teaching me and stuff. So I spent, I think, two months, two or three months preparing. And then I took the TSI assessment. <laughs> Luckily, I passed. And then <laughs> I immediately applied to community college, got in. And I started in the fall of 2019, August. We moved to Austin. And right in time for school, we just moved. And then like within a week, I started community college. <laughs> Uh, so like, I think there's two different experiences I'd like to know academically. How was it? And then socially, how was it? Yeah. So I was really nervous before going on my first day. I went, no, oh, you're like a kid's first day of school. I love yeah. this. <laughs> I went and I went into class and to my surprise, 
it wasn't that hard and it wasn't as hard as they expected it to be it actually wasn't that bad it was very it was pretty easy and i realized at that point that's when i realized within like the first week or so that as long as you can pay attention that's enough <laughs> and a lot of the subjects they teach you like from beginner level like you for everyone even though you've learned some of the stuff they go through it again so even like a lot of the people from high school like they were getting reviewed on some of the stuff for me it was learning i was learning it for the first time so yeah and i realized that as long as i could pay attention and be focused in class that was enough i could get through it and it wasn't that bad and that was a huge thing i could see that people lacked a lot of people around me couldn't pay attention i could clearly see it and initially i thought before i went into class before the first day i was like I don't know how this is going to be. I might need to ask my classmates for help, get their help. But when I went in, the opposite happened. <laughs> well, after a few weeks, I started helping my classmates. Um and that's when it it hit me and I could see, I could clearly see the impact of my upbringing in Isha Sanskriti and the kind of focus and yeah, focus that I had um helped me go through all of this and I was I ended up helping other people in my classes. It wasn't that bad. and I was like oh yeah I can do this for sure. Mm. <laughs> so I did it um academically it was fine. There were a lot of stuff I had to learn, obviously, a lot of new stuff, but it wasn't too hard to keep up with. Um I had to put in a little extra effort, but it was fine. Um socially community college there wasn't that much of a social life because it's you just commute, you go to school, finish your classes and go back home. It's not like regular university where you're living on campus and stuff. Mm. So I mean I made some friends and it was it was actually very eye opening because in community college I got to see people from all different ages people a lot older than me and people from so many different backgrounds and that really like gave me a perspective on life it was like a lot of these people have like there were people there was one guy that was 40 years old in my class and that really put things in perspective it was like i have like what i have right now is the opportunities i have in front of me are just i can't just let it go to waste i have like i have such a big advantage and i can't like take things for granted so that i think that experience in community college really um showed me how not to take things well even growing up in india that showed me that but it was just I opened to see people from so many different walks of life um and so many different ages in community college and I made friends with a lot of people um I didn't talk much about my background in India I talked a little bit about it and some people found it really interesting initially I, I was hesitant about talking about it but once I got close to a few people some of my close friends I started talking about it and they loved it they were like man that's so cool I wish I had that and i was like okay people are open to it initially i thought people wouldn't be but people are quite open to it why did you feel like that i don't know for some reason um i just felt like people didn't wouldn't understand the value of it and maybe they didn't maybe they just thought it was cool but they didn't really like see the significance of it i don't know um but i just thought that people wouldn't have value for it because that's not what they're used to seeing or they're used to hearing but to my surprise that was not the case and people were open to learning more about what i went through and i made one so i joined the student government 
when I was in community college, I knew that eventually I was going to transfer into university. And I knew that in order to get into um, the closest university is UT Austin. And it's a very competitive university. And I knew that if I wanted to get in, I had to do a lot of put in a lot of extra effort, do a lot of extracurricular stuff, not just my classes. And I mean, even like to get into university as a trans university of Texas at Austin, as a transfer student, the percentage of acceptance is very low. Mm. And most of the advisors, unfortunately, a lot of the advisors at ACC, Austin community college, tell people, tell the students, like they make it sound like you won't get in. <laughs> they make it sound like you're never going to get into UT Austin. They're like, the percentage is really low. You should apply to other universities too. And they make it sound like you, you can't get in. <clears throat> and I wasn't expecting myself to get in. I didn't, I wasn't too set. Like I wasn't too set on going to UT. I was open to any university. Um, but I knew that UT was a really good, well, um, a really well-known school and has a good reputation in one of the top schools in the U.S. So I wanted to apply. So I took up extracurricular activities at ACC. I did student government. I joined the student government and I was like one of the representatives for my campus. And I made uh, some friends there. And one specific friend to this day, we're still very close. We've gone on trips together. Um, his name is Jared. Yeah, we're just like, we bonded really well for some reason and he was awesome and when he learned about my background he was like man you're a badass i love that i mean <laughs> you're crazy i wish i were you and stuff and i was like okay people <laughs> it's not what i expected <laughs> um and to this day he's still like that and i love him he's always full of energy um and his story is also a very different story he's a lot older than me i think he's I don't know exactly how old he is, but he's probably like four years older than me or something, four or five years. Um, but we're, we're really close friends to this day, even though we split to different universities. I went to UT, he went to another one. Um, but we still try to meet, meet up and hang out whenever we can. And yeah, that was my social life at ACC. <laughs> uh were there any, um, like you said, you did student government. So was that a challenge at all since you weren't really in the U.S. for a lot of your younger years? Like, did you, ha did you already know about government kind of stuff and how things work? No, um, it was all completely new and I had no like experience, prior experience. Like most of the people there had like experience from like student government in high school and stuff. So I was complete. It was completely brand new. I was still learning how it worked, what what it was, what it even meant. Um, so yeah, I was. It was completely new to me. I didn't know anything about it. But again, what my mom told me: you, you don't know until you try. You never know until you try, and that always pushes me to do completely new things. And yeah, I'll talk about that later on. But yeah, student government, I joined, I slowly learned, um, attended the meetings and asked for help whenever I needed to and got an idea of how, what, like what we had to do and how it functioned and stuff. Yeah. Um, are there any things which, as you got to know people, um, and what they would have gone through, like 
you said some of them had this student government kind of uh, thing in high school. So were there any other things that you feel like you, mm, I don't want to say missed out on, but didn't get to experience that you uh, wish you could have? Mm. Not really, but when I came to university, when I transferred into university, I started to get I was more actively like in this, I had a more active social life because I was living on campus. And that's when I realized what I was missing out on. And I was like, man, I wish I started from year one at university so that I could live on campus and have that social life for all four years. But I think ACC played its own role. It was meant to be. And I learned a lot from it. I got to see so many different people, so many perspectives, like people from different walks of life, different ages that I wouldn't have gotten at a university. And I also saved up a lot of money. It was like a tenth of the cost. So I think it was definitely worth it. And I ha I had, I've had another two and a half years to have the regular university um, life, which I've been fully involved in um, and love it. So yeah, I don't think... I kind of feel like I missed out on it, but I also feel like it, it was, that's what needed to happen. Um, I'm glad I did community mm -hmm. college. So when you transferred, uh, and now you're living on campus, yeah. what was like, um, any unexpected twists or shocks or anything like that? Yeah. So let me, <laughs> <laughs> let me start from when I got accepted to UT. So during the last um, semester of ACC, I was actually in India. So I went to India, like, I think right when the pandemic started, like right in the beginning before it became a big thing. I was like in the flight when it blew up <laughs> and <laughs> I landed, place to be. <laughs> I landed in India. Um, right when I landed in India, the next day, the borders closed in Delhi. So I luckily made it just in time. Um, I was going back for a reunion for Isha Samskriti in the school I went to in India. We were all getting back together and we had a meeting with Sadhguru. So I went for that. I was only going to go for, I think, a week or a weekend or something. I packed a small handbag with like five pairs of clothes and we I went. But then COVID happened. Flights got canceled. School also got like, canceled mostly. It was online, asynchronous. So that meant I could do it from India since it was not synchronous. I could do it at my own time. I just had to do assignments and submit it. So I was like, well, that's perfect. Now I get to stay in the ashram. And I hadn't seen my friends for like a year, a year and a half. So I was really excited to see them. And I got to spend um, a lot of time with them. I just did my ACC classes online from India. And I did all that. And what was supposed to be a one week trip ended up being six months. <laughs> And the flights opened up halfway, like flights started like within three months or something, but I wanted to stay and school was online. It made sense for me to stay as long as I could in India. So I stayed it's until a, it's quite a high school reunion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was amazing. I had a really good time with all my um, friends back in India. We got to do a lot of stuff. Um, it was definitely needed and I look forward to going back. Uh, <clears throat> But yeah, I got to spend that time there. And then in around November, I think October, end of October, I came back to the U.S. And I went camping with my cousins. 
And my uncle is a UT Austin alumni. He went to UT and he, he always talks about UT and he was like, you have to go to UT, man. <laughs> he loves UT. Like all Longhorns are, even I'm like that now. <laughs> um, Big promoter, I see. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he was like, you have to, he was like, so did you apply to UT? And that was for, to start in January for the spring semester. And I wasn't planning on applying for spring. I was planning to apply in fall, in August. So I didn't apply. And I was like, he asked me, and I was like, no, I thought people usually start in the fall, so I'm just going to apply in the fall. And then he was like, no, you should apply in spring. People, you can you can apply in the spring if you want to look into it. So I was like, okay. And he said you should apply. So I was like, okay. And I looked in, I went back home after our two-day camping trip. I went back home looked at the application deadline and I had three days. I hadn't looked into my ma like what major I wanted to do. I hadn't even looked into the school that much, nothing. Like I hadn't done anything because I wasn't planning on doing it until like half a year later. I had three days to do it. So three days I did nothing else. I stopped all my other schoolwork. I just focused on the application, figuring, researching into the majors, figuring out what I wanted to do. And at the time I still didn't have a clear idea of what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do something in business. By then I had a, I figured out that I was interested in business and I liked doing it. But what in business also I didn't know. There are like so many different things you can do within business. So I looked into it and then I strategically applied. I didn't apply to the business school because I knew it's very competitive, super hard to get into the McComb School of Business. So I didn't apply there. I figured out like if I applied somewhere else and then transferred in, that would be, that would give me a higher chance of getting in. So I spent three days researched. I also had to write two essays for my application. Most of the time went in writing those essays. Uh, we didn't have chat GPT yet. Yeah, no chat GPT. <laughs> unfortunately, I wish, I wish I did. <laughs> um, so I spent those three days doing that. I wrote, um, the essay and I think the essay was a very, I think it played a huge role in me getting accepted. I did have a really high GPA from Austin community college, but even the highest, like people with the highest GPAs graduated from high school in Austin. A lot of them don't get into UT just because it's so competitive. So I think in that essay, I talked about my experience in India. I talked about my unique upbringing and, all my experiences in the past. And I think that made me stand out because they're not just looking for people who are academically, who have great grades, but people who are unique in different ways. Yeah, like who can kick eight feet. In <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think my pat, like my upbringing in India had a huge role in me getting accepted into UT. Um, I wrote the, yeah. So I wrote the application, submitted it. And then within when I, I don't remember, I think it was like one or two months afterwards, I got, um, the offer. Um, and I was not expecting any, like I was like 95% sure I was not, like wasn't planning on getting in because I had rushed the application in three days. So like my whole mindset, I wasn't even set on applying. I didn't want, I wasn't planning on applying. So I wasn't too set on getting in. I was like, I was fine if I didn't get in and I was still applying to other schools for the fall. Hmm. But I got in, that was super surprising, shocking, but 
I was also very excited because I love the city of Austin and I wanted to go to UT just because it's an amazing, beautiful campus, very close to downtown. We're, like we can go to downtown anytime. There's bus systems and just amazing. The weather is great. The lake, great city and nature. Um, so that was exciting. I, I was really excited that I got in. Um, and then... So January 2021 is when I started at the University of Texas. Um, that semester was still online because of COVID. So I hadn't moved to campus. I was still staying at home and doing classes online. I visited campus once in a while. I drove just to make use of the library and stuff, but it was mostly all online. Um, and then the next semester after that fall of 2021, <clears throat> is when I actually moved to campus. I got an apartment with someone. I found a roommate. Oh, so you didn't get the dorm experience? No, I, I didn't get the dorm experience. <laughs> I guess I, that was kind of most of the time at Samskriti, right? Yeah. Kind of like dorms. Yeah, Samskriti was, yeah, resident, we, it was a residential school, so I was always living with all my friends in a big dorm kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, at UT, I went straight... Um, to an apartment and I found a roommate so me and another guy were roommates got an apartment um, right outside campus like walking distance just like five to ten minutes from campus and started classes before UT before like I even moved to Austin I lived in Rhode Island for a very short period for like three months I think and I started to learn how to surf on the beach. I took like one lesson and then I went back like two times to practice on my own. Didn't really get it, but I got on, I actually got on the board and wrote it um, on the very first day when I tried. And I loved the experience, just being on the board. It was a totally different experience and that just got me hooked. And I was like, after I came, moved to Austin, I still wanted that, I still wanted to practice and I just loved the experience. So I was looking, I knew there were no beaches, but I was still looking, <laughs> trying to find a way to find like a way to surf. Um, and then I never found anything when I was in Austin Community College. But when I got into UT, I was looking at like UT like student organizations. And I found there was a wakeboarding and wake surfing student org. Um, and I had, I had never heard of the term wakeboarding or wake surfing before that. I didn't know what it was but it looked like it was kind of like surfing. So I looked into it, I attended an info session and I had to even ask them, what's the difference between wakeboarding and wake surfing? I didn't know anything, um, but I was fine again, like until you try, you don't know. <laughs> so I joined the student, the wakeboarding team and I, they taught me how to do it. I didn't know how to do it. So I went and um, there are other members who knew how to do it. So they taught me how to do it. and. I got it pretty much within the first day. And I think a lot of that is because of the yoga and martial arts that I did. There's, we ha I have a lot of like physical balance that I got from that and which let me pick um, surfing up really quick. So I learned wakeboarding and that became a huge part of my social life at UT. And even to this day, even now I'm in the wakeboarding team at UT. Amazing. It's just amazing to be out there on the lake. Um, it's just just even sitting on the boat, going on the lake is just very relaxing and it's just a lot of fun. So that, that became a huge part of my social life. And then I also looked at other student orgs. There is a, 
uh, international student org at UT that I joined. And I met a lot of, I made friends for, with like people from all over the world. Um, I had friends from Germany, France, Lebanon, um, India, all over the place, just like everywhere. Um, and I got really close with them. We started hanging out together a lot. And I, for some reason, I was able to get along with the international student org people a lot more. And I think the reason for that was a lot of the other people already had their group of friends from like high school or from freshman year. And since I transferred as a transfer student, I didn't start completely new as I would have as a freshman and made friends in freshman year. So I didn't really know anyone at UT when I joined. And I think a lot of the other people already have their group of friends that they hang out with. So joining the international student org was great because they're exchange students that just came, they're just there for a year or for one semester. So they also don't have anyone. So they don't have anyone. So they're open. They're as open to finding new friends and doing stuff. So I made a lot of friends and that became a huge part of my social life at UT. And I'm so happy I made the decision to join that org because to this day, a lot of my friends I'm still in touch with um, were from that organization. And we got so close that during spring break, one of the years, <clears throat> We did a group trip. There was like, I think, 15 of us that were really close that we we did stuff together all the time. Uh, we took a trip to Puerto Rico for spring break, I think, last year, I think it was. Um, and that was such an amazing trip. It was awesome. I loved it. Uh, so that's been most of my social life. I also have friends from my classes. Um, last semester, I joined another student org. Um, it's like a co-ed business fraternity for entrepreneurship specifically. It's um, called ENT and it's specifically focused on entrepreneurship. Um, and it's any, any students that are interested in entrepreneurship, whether they have their own businesses or they have an idea or they don't even have to have an idea. They're just interested and open to thinking outside the box and stuff. So I joined that, um, and it's been awesome being around other people who are also into entrepreneurship. Before that, I did a summer entrepreneurship academy. So I have an entrepreneurship minor that I'm studying at UT. And you, there's a program in the summer, a summer intensive course, where you can finish the whole minor in one summer. So you take like four different classes at the same time within the span of two months. So it's very like super intense. Um, but that has been one of the best academic experience at UT. I mean, my whole college experience, that has been the best experience because there was a lot of practical learning and it was a cohort of like 20 people, I think 20, 25 people, um, the same people in all four classes. And we, and everyone there had to be like legit people that wanted, that were really interested and like learning because no one would give up their whole summer break for classes <laughs> unless they were really into it. And that was a great experience because I learned so many stuff related to entrepreneurship. There was a lot of practical learning in terms of pitching, presenting. Um, we didn't really have that many exams and we were with the same 20 people in all four classes from like 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. We would be in the same building, all of us. We all suffered together. <laughs> we had tight deadlines and did everything together. So we, we came, we bonded, we got really close. And I made a lot of friends there. Uh, 
And that's when I realized the significance of being around like-minded people, being around people who think in entrepreneurial ways, who are thinking outside the box, outside the norm. That's when I realized the like, importance of that because who you surround yourself with is a major plays a major role in how like the, your lifestyle and what you aspire for and what you do. Um, so doing the summer Academy gave me that. And then after that, I was looking for something. I wanted to stay connected with people, like-minded people. So that's when I found out about the entrepreneurship fraternity and I joined, and that was started by people who did the same summer entrepreneurship Academy the year before me. So I joined that and yeah, it's been great to be around people who also think the same way because regular students, if I try, if I try talking to them about this kind of stuff, they just don't get it for them. All their, they have like a set path. Their whole idea of life is already set. Like you graduate college by, by your, the time you're a senior, you try to set up a job, start the job and you work and then you get promoted and keep working. I just can't see myself doing that. It doesn't make sense to me. I, I can't see myself working for 40 years for the same company or working for someone else. It just doesn't make sense to me. I don't even think that's a thing anymore. <laughs> Unless you're already like grandfathered into the system. <laughs> like, doesn't seem like it's working for anybody. <clears throat> yeah, it isn't. But people still have that idea. A lot of people still... You mean like people you were around in school? Yeah. A lot of people still have the idea like what they have this whole idea like set plan of how the, the trajectory of their life and they're not even open-minded to look and see that there are other ways and mm. think outside the box uh so it was great to see like just to be around people that understood the same thing and who are aspiring for the same stuff so yeah <laughs> i'm curious because um i mean you're talking about being able to focus earlier, being something, a skill you developed. And I, I think, uh, just knowing you a bit, I feel like you have a, a great attention to detail, uh, probably from years of <laughs> just the, the way you grew up. So what, when you were in university, just being around all these different people, what are the little things you noticed, like observations you've made? A huge thing is just connected to the same thing I was talking about. People are not willing to think outside the norms of society. Everyone's following what other people are doing. No one, like most people, I always see this there. They're not even open to seeing that there's another way. They're not open to seeing or even looking if there is another way. They're just set on like, this is how, this is what you do. You finish college, you find that job and just keep going. Like, and not just in terms of career, but no one's willing to see that there are better ways to live. Even lifestyle wise, you don't have to be the, the, what's it called? The general idea of a college student is <laughs> you're broke, you're depressed, you're not healthy, you're just like pushing through and you're mentally not healthy and but you don't have to be like that. <laughs> but most people don't see it. They think it's a part of it. They think you have to experience. go through it. Yeah. <laughs> they think you have to do it. And it's like just self-imposed um 
I mean, it may also be because they're not, they haven't had the past experiences that I have had. Um, I've been fortunate to have a different upbringing and I'm able to see that there's a different way to living. But that's something I've observed that a lot of people are just stuck on one way of thinking and they're not willing to look at life in different ways. And yeah, they, I mean, a lot of people complain about things. <laughs> they complain about so many issues, but they don't realize that. I mean, one thing I specifically notice is so many people are very compulsive and because of the compulsions, it's limiting them in so many different ways. And I kind of feel like a hypocrite for pointing out <laughs> every single thing that's causing people to slow down because they're small things. But when they add up all the small things, it makes a significant impact on your life. It limits you in so many ways. Um, they seem very small, but when there's so many of them, it's just like, <laughs> um, it just blows my mind to see that <laughs> people are so invested in their misery <laughs> in a way they're not <laughs> yeah so, uh, obviously not like calling specific people out or anything but could you give some general examples of like how how you see this because maybe maybe like um, they get the general idea but without like an example so one example I always tell people and make fun of is I hear people tell me, man, I don't have money for this. I can't afford this. And they're always complaining about money, not having money, right? College students. And I mean, I understand we, we don't have a lot of money, but you still get that Starbucks every single morning, which is way more expensive than a coffee needs to be. They complain about not having money, but they spend so much money on other on things that don't need to be they're not as important like i understand some people need coffee like going to the point where i say you don't need coffee is a little too extreme i don't drink coffee but even if you have to have coffee you there are ways to you can find more economic ways of doing it you don't have to have that starbucks every single day but the same people they complain about not having money but then they go and get they get that starbucks every day they're subscribed to like three different um, streaming services, stuff like that, like small lifestyle things that if you're more conscious, if you're more aware, then you wouldn't need that stuff. Um, and I tell like for yoga, I bring this up as um, another benefit of yoga is that like you can live with so much le like it, there's so many benefits that people ask me like, what are the benefits? And I'm like, I try to explain how I live my life and how that's helping me. And doing yoga wakes me up. I don't need to have that cup of coffee because I'm energized by, by the morning. So I'm getting a workout in, I'm getting energized. And I'll, I'm also having, creating a mental, um, calming myself down and creating the right kind of ambience for the day. All three with one, just with the yoga practices. I don't have to get coffee, that coffee. I don't, and my mental health is taken care of. I don't have to spend all that money going to a counselor, getting medicines, going on antidepressants. And if I was depressed, then so much time would go off in just like managing my mind. Um, 
So I try to explain, like when I tell people about yoga, I'm saying, I try to tell them that there are so many benefits to it. It's not look like you have to see that it can help you in so many ways in so many different parts of your life. And it's a lot more efficient way of living your life. It takes 20 minutes, at least 20 minutes to invest every morning, but that's worth all the other stuff that can be taken away from that. It's just one episode of something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you brought up about subscription services and uh, media. I mean, when you're growing up, I, I'm guessing you didn't really watch many shows or anything like that, right? Yeah. So um, how do you feel about, I mean, now you've probably got a phone and have access to all this stuff that you wouldn't have in school. So how, how do you feel about it now? Um, I'm not against it and I'm not going to say that I don't watch stuff. I do watch TV. I, wa I watch movies. I watch some TV shows, but I do see that like the amount of time that takes away from people's lives is a significant amount. And, um, there have been times when I've got caught in that rabbit hole of like, you start a long series and you just want to keep binge watching and keep watching. Oops, there's 18 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and then you realize, wow, I wasted a lot of time on that. Um, so I still watch, I still watch, um, TV now, but I try not to spend as much time doing it. Um, I realize how much time it can take away. Um, and I try to spend time doing more stuff that's significant for me, whether it's social stuff, working, on my like working on my business or social activities um or anything else i just try i see that there's a better way to use my time um but i still watch <laughs> now and then i still watch stuff uh but try i try not to spend a lot of time on it mm. um yeah i had uh somebody i was talking to i can't remember who but um this kind of topic came up and i it just dawned on me at that point, and I said this to him, I was like, you know what I never hardly ever see in a TV series or a movie? The main character watching TV. Yeah. it's <laughs> a good point. <laughs> You're watching them live their life. <laughs> um, uh, so I found we're kind of at an interesting time where um, anyone who's your age or especially younger... Uh, there's no concept of before the internet or TV. It was just always there. Um, you not really having much of that around is unique, actually, compared to um, pretty much anyone else who would have grown up mm -hmm. in recent decades. So um, have you observed any um, anything uh, related to that in terms of like how your relationship with uh, phones or screens or the internet or anything is relative to just the, your peers around you? Um, initially when I got it, it was a huge resource. I saw it like, wow, there's a lot I can do with it. Um, it's not like we were not at all exposed to it. We still use the internet for stuff for like educational stuff and some research and stuff, but we, we didn't all, we didn't have a phone with us. We weren't always on the internet. Um, in, in the school in Isha Samskriti. So when I came out, I saw it as a, felt like a lot of freedom. <laughs> and um, I'm not gonna lie, I did get um, addicted to it. I started using it and because it, we were completely new to it. So um, 
just like everyone else, I got addicted to my phone, started using it a lot. And then I realized at some point, I realized that um, it, it was just taking out a lot of my time. And like social media can be addicting, just watching stuff, um, just anything related to the phone can be just taking up your phone and just scrolling can be addicting to just pick it up every now and then. So I try to every now and then I try to give myself a break from it and stop myself from using it intentionally so that I don't get addicted. And whenever I notice myself getting addicted, I try to like completely shut it off, not use it for some time. Um, even recently in college, uh, last semester, I had to write some huge papers and I noticed how my attention, I needed to like completely focus on the paper in order to write. And it was a big, like uh, 25 page paper, research, um, a paper I had to write. And I kept noticing that my attention went to the phone and I realized how much time gets wasted, but you lose, you like, you get distracted, you start doing something on your phone and to come back and get your mindset into what you're doing. So much time gets wasted. I realized that. And then I just started shutting off. When I start working on my paper, I just shut off my phone, put it where I can't see it. <laughs> I hide it behind my laptop and I start working. <laughs> and I caught myself once reaching for my phone, even though it wasn't there. And I was like, man, that's bad. <laughs> so every, so like that every now and then I try to intentionally give myself a break from it and try to give some space, put it away from me so that I um, don't get addicted to it. And I realize how much time gets spent and how much time gets freed up when I don't use it. Mm. Um, I have another question and uh, feel free if you're not comfortable, don't want to answer, but have you had to deal with any more extreme adversity or someone being just kind of mean, things like that? that maybe you weren't expecting? I'm trying to think. <laughs> I've never tried to keep that in my mind. <laughs> so I'm trying to think of instances. There has to be some instance. Um, I can't think of it. I can't. <laughs> Maybe I'm sure there has been there has to have been um, instances where some things, but I just can't remember something right now. So maybe um, suppose someone was being nasty or <laughs> racist or something like that. How do you deal with that? <clears throat> I think a huge thing I've learned is that. Um, I try to respond to the situation instead of reacting to it. And that's a huge part of like a huge thing that yoga has given me that self-awareness to be aware in the moment. And before I react to something, respond in more, in a more intentional way. And a huge thing I learned is that no matter what, how someone is behaving or acting towards you and however negative way it may be, if you still respond back in a loving way, in a caring way, they have nothing to do but to, they get shocked sometimes because that's not what they're expecting. But what can they do after that? If you get mad, they'll get more mad. 
But when you react in um in a more calm and relaxed manner, I think in many situations that's helped calm down the situation and that's helped them respond in a better way. Um, so that's what I always do. No matter how mad someone gets or whatever they may be doing, I it's not that I let them do what they're doing. I show them what they're doing, but I'm still do it in a respectful way or in a um yeah in a respectful way just so that they can see that i'm not just getting mad back at them and they don't have a reason to get angrier um and always most of the time it works they it either works and they become they change and they start talking responding better or they just ignore it and keep going um but most of the time it's the first like they usually um change mm. <laughs> yeah um, are there any people in uh your time at university so far who like teachers other students um anybody who really made a big impact on you Um, related to university, like at the university? In any aspect. Um, a huge a person recently in my life, within the past uh, three years, who has made a huge impact in my life, huge phenomenal impact in my life, um, has been my uncle, uh, the same uncle that graduated from UT and told me to apply. Uh, he's an entrepreneur himself, and he has a construction business in Austin. They do construction and development. Um, and he's very successful, super successful person, but the kind of person he is, the kind of how humble he is and the kind of human being he is, is just phenomenal. And you wouldn't expect someone that successful most of the time to be like that. You can't tell, like, by looking at him, he just seems like every other guy, um, with a kind of respect and his way of looking at life is just phenomenal and um, it definitely has come from a certain spiritual basis, a different um, kind of spiritual guru that he follows. Um, but you can see it's working for him. He's just, um, in terms of life, in terms of a human being, he's like that. But also in terms of business, he's like my mentor in terms of entrepreneurship and business. And he's just always inspiring me um, that there's always ways to improve there's always ways to be kind to people around you and giving people a second chance uh, just observing everything he's done and my mom works with him uh, for his company and she's always working with him and she always um whenever i go home she's always telling me something new about what he did that was just mind-blowing um so much selflessness that he has uh so he's been huge impact in my life and showing me also in terms of business and entrepreneurship, showing me that there's <clears throat> other ways of doing things. Like I said, people are, most college students are just stuck in a certain idea of doing, um, of their career and life, but he's constantly showing me that there's better ways to do it. There's different ways. Um, especially in terms of like, getting an internship which i've been doing recently for the past year he always stresses upon um, the importance of building the skills you want to build and 
being okay with forsaking the money initially to build the skills because that's what's going to take you that's going to help you down the road so building the skills that you want to actually build um, really focusing spending some time to think about what your goals are what you want to do and then creating an internship and career path for you to get where you want to be and in the beginning if that means forsaking the amount of money you're getting paid most students are not in that mindset they're just thinking about what's the highest paying internship or highest paying job they're not thinking about the skills that they're actually going to develop which is much more valuable um down the road so he's really showed that to me and made me see that it's important to focus on that and he's made me see that like shown me that i can do break my limits and do so many different things that i never thought i could do um, I've even interned with his company, managed a whole construction project. Um, <laughs> it was last year, last summer. Um, I had to, well, the year before last year, actually, I had to get an internship and I reached out to him to see if he knew anyone um, that could get me an internship in the company or he himself at his company. And then he met up with me and <clears throat> he said, I have this project. We're turning a church into a school and we're renovating the whole place um do you want to do it must have been you, a church huh? must have been a big church to yeah to school yeah for sure it was definitely big um and he was like well uh, do you want to take it up you'll be the project manager you'll manage the whole thing completely like you're the head of the whole project oh wow. i was like oh man what am i getting myself <laughs> into you don't he know said it's gonna, yeah <laughs> he said it's gonna be hard you're going to have to work your ass off, but it's going to be worth it. You're going to learn a lot. And he said, if you're willing to put in the extra work, put in the extra hours and effort. Um, he said he, he had, um, the trust, like he knew that I could do it. He said, I know you can do it. Um, if you really want to do it. And I myself didn't like, didn't feel like I could do it. I didn't, I don't know anything related to construction <laughs> before that internship. I had never, I had been to Home Depot maybe twice in my life, <laughs> but by the time, by the time I finished it, I probably would have been to Home Depot like a hundred times. You know, every aisle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I've never, I've never been that kind of person that builds, like I'm never into a building. It's just, that's not my thing. Um, but I was willing to try it and do it. And I learned a lot from it. I realized what I'm actually capable of. Are you a builder now? No, I'm still not a builder. <laughs> <laughs> but I learned a lot of stuff um, in that internship with construction that can be um, applied in so many other fields, not specific to construction. Um, and most importantly, it showed me that if I really want to do something, I can do it. No matter what it is, if I'm willing to put in the work, I can do it. So I spent... Um, it was a two-month project. I had to turn the, ch the church into a school. And he told me, he said, if I hire an outside contractor, they would usually take four months to do it. But you have to do it in two months. You have no choice because the school is opening up and it has to be ready. People are enrolled and it has to be ready. <laughs> Extra challenge. <laughs> so I had a lot of pressure. <laughs> and I had to manage everything from initially the whole budget plan um, for the project and then hiring contractors for the various things we had to tear down walls rebuild walls repaint the whole place um put in when you tore down the walls you had to take out the windows put in totally new windows um we had plumbing work to do painting like so many different things 
um, the whole flooring we had to re like pull out all the carpet redo. So I learned a lot from that internship and stuff like that. So that internship showed me that I can do so much more. He pushed, he always pushes me beyond my limits. Um, and every year I go on a ski trip with him. And even there, he pushes me <laughs> to, <laughs> to do something way more than <laughs> I think I can do. And I always end up rolling down the mountain instead of actually skiing. <laughs> but it helps me go to the next step and try something harder. Um, I remember the very first time I learned skiing, um, he took me. It was with him, my family, and his family. We went on a ski trip in Breckenridge, Colorado. And... We did ski lessons on the first day and then after we did one day of ski lessons and after that we just started practicing on our own and on the third day he wanted me to do a black bowl all the way on the top and I still hadn't got how to ski properly. He pushed me to do it <laughs> and I fell like seven times probably on the way down <laughs> but it was good. It was a good experience. Um, so I figured out how to do pizza and he's like, good enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what happened. Uh, and then, yeah, since then, every year I've been going skiing. Uh, this year, just recently, last week, I went um, for the third year in a row and I've gotten a lot better and I love skiing now. Um, and even this time he pushed me to go do a double black. Um, and yeah, it was... I just rolled down. I just like slid down. I didn't actually <laughs> ski. I tried skiing in the beginning, fell, and then I just pushed myself down. <laughs> you should uh, you should go with Strav's brother. He's like a, he's a wild guy. He'll go and um, he went with some friends to the Grand Canyon and they just ran down the whole thing and then back up the other side and his friends were like yeah we're done he's like i'm just gonna go back and do it again so on the same what? day he went and did it all the way back that's crazy <laughs> but he does a lot of uh cross-country skiing okay so that makes sense all around he's, he's a madman i love him <laughs> um so uh now here you are kind of like caught up roughly so what are you, what's your life like right now? Now I'm a senior at UT, so I will be graduating. I have two majors. Um, because of that, I will be graduating with one in, uh, this spring in May. And then I'll finish the second major in December. So I'll be completely done with school in December. Right now I'm focusing a lot. Um, since it's my last, me last year in college, I'm really trying to make use of the social life and get as much as I can in while I'm there because I know I'm never going to be around that many people the same age and so many different types of people ever again. It's just not going to happen with that many people. Um, so that is there, but I'm also spending a lot of time on my career, um, figuring out what I want to do. I still don't know exactly what I want to do yet, but I know I want to continue the yoga studio, want to expand and um, keep that going for sure on the side because that's played a huge role in my life and I want to be able to keep sharing that with people. So there's a lot going into that, a lot of time and effort going into that teaching classes and just thinking about the business strategy and how I can um, make it a sustainable business. Um, so so uh, let's talk a little bit about that because that was kind of your major in... Uh, in school, right? Uh, at least before university. Mm -hmm. So, uh, 
one thing I noticed when I saw your Instagram was like, we're over here, you know, we went to the teacher training. So already compared to what a lot of uh, groups offer for yoga, which is usually like 200, 500 hours, something like this, right? But we've got nearly 2,000 hours and it feels like hoo, 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 yeah. in some way. <laughs> um, even though I feel dumber for having gone through it, like, I feel like I know even less. But um, I saw you've got like 9,000 hours or something yeah. like that. I saw I was like, what is this? I, I know why it seems yeah. cool, but I, I don't even know what that means. So, <laughs> um, do you feel like that's nice for marketing or is there just, is there a deeper like significance to like just spending that much time? Cause you're awful close to that 10,000 hours to be a master. That's like the, the <laughs> slogan they say, right? <laughs> um, so the way I calculated that time was including the amount of time in Samskuti that I did the teacher training. I added up all of the time. Um, and it came up with that number. Um, it's on there mostly for marketing purposes, um, to, for people to get an idea of how long I've spent doing yoga and getting trained as a teacher. But there is more of a significance of like about amount that I mean about that amount of time. Um, as you know, other people don't know this, but there's a certain there's a lot of attention and care given to the teacher training process. It's very, um, very subtle and noticing very subtle details and every little thing we have to be attention to, you know, how strict it is. Every little movement, every little thing, because <clears throat> our whole system is a very, um, trying to think of the word I lost the word but it's a very complex system and every little thing we do we do has an impact on our lives so I think the kind of care and attention that's given that's given in the teacher training and doing the practices is very important most people don't know this but there's just so much attention given to that and even when we teach our classes this is why I've haven't taught as many classes for college students. It's mostly been older people between the ages of like 30 to 50. Um, it might be just a limit, a lack of perspective on my end or some limitation on my end, but our classes are very slow paced and it takes a lot of commitment and patience to sit in our classes because it's not always doing something. There's a lot of observation involved. You which can't swipe right. Yeah, <laughs> can't just swipe, keep swiping right. Um, you have to really be willing to sit and be patient and committed in the class, which I feel a lot of people my age or a lot of college students don't have that patience, uh, but uh, I don't know yet. I'm still experimenting, especially this year. I'm starting to teach more for college students, so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, that's, maybe they will have that patience. We'll, we'll see when I do it, but... A lot of people, when they take our classes, they see, like, I've had a lot of participants in the past, when they've completed it, they're like, wow, this is completely different from what I thought. Like, I've, I've taken many yoga classes in the past, 
but this is something very different from what anyone else, whatever I've done before. Um, I think that care and attention shows how much impact the practices can have. That amount of um, attention we're giving and awareness we're trying to um, create as we're doing has, because along with that comes the benefits of it. Because a lot of people, they think, when they think of a yoga class, they, they just think of the physical practice of just the workout. They think they'll feel like a little looser, a little like physically better and leave. And maybe a pet a baby mountain goat. Yeah. <laughs> but there's so much more to it. And I've seen that in like the people that have taken the classes, they can see that they've had their life, their lives have changed completely from doing the workshops and continuing to do the practice, which hasn't happened from other yoga classes in the past. And I've been trying to figure out how to explain this to people, to the Western world, how to explain it in a way that they're able to understand in a way what we're trying to offer. And it's kind of like redefining what yoga is, even though this is actually what yoga is. Because most of the people, 90%, 99% of the people, when they think of yoga, they just think of a workout, a physical thing. But when I explain it this way to people, they're like, oh, wow, I never thought of it that way. But this is actually what yoga is. It isn't just an exercise or physical practice, but it's a way of building that self-awareness. And building that self-awareness has impacts in your life in so many different ways and can help you in no matter what you're doing in your career, in your relationships, in your health, your mental health, in so many different ways, it has impacts on our lives. And I want people to see that this isn't just a workout. This is something that can actually transform their lives. So it's been a challenge to figure out how to market it to people that way or how to explain it to that pe to people in that way so that they understand that's what it is and they come in with that mindset because if they come in with the other mindset some of them are put off because what they're expecting is entertainment they're expecting like some workout with music and something fun um a community building experience or something like that like a song and dance yeah <laughs> which is fine i mean I know the, the benefits of that. I like being in a community. I like that aspect. But they I, they need to understand that we have to somehow change the way people think about yoga and show them what it really is and what its impact can really be. So I've been working on that. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. It's I'm still learning a lot through the process. Yeah. How much since you came out of uh, school did you expose yourself to these other uh, types of yoga that are especially here in the U.S.? I haven't exposed myself that much to it. I've recently within the past year and a half maybe, yes, because I've been doing market research and trying to understand what people like, what they're looking for, um, and talking to people in yoga classes. So it's just within the last year, year and a half, I've gone to a few, um, what did you but think? not regularly. I haven't consistently been going to a studio. I've just gone to like one or two sessions and they weren't that bad. Luckily they were <laughs> pretty decent. Um, 
they weren't super crazy uh, yoga classes with like beer or goats or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> they were still there was certain, still a certain focus on awareness, which was good. Um, it wasn't. I've heard a lot worse about <laughs> yoga in the West, so I wasn't too surprised. Um, it was better than uh, actually a little better than I expected. There was more. At, at least the one I went to had a focus on being more aware of yourself. Which was good to see. Mm. Um, so, uh, teaching yoga and working with your uncle on this um, construction projects, and um, you said what? Uh, getting into business and startups generally, right? Mm -hmm. Is this kind of the direction you want to take after you uh, graduate? Yeah, um, that's where I see myself. I don't. I. I mean, right after I graduate, I might take on a job um, for a company to support myself while I'm working on something else. But eventually, the idea is to work for myself, to be an entrepreneur, and have my own business. Um, but I know in order to do that, I need to build the skills first. So that for that reason, I'm, I'll probably take on a job. I'm doing right now. I'm doing an internship, a marketing internship, with a um, so the Ayurvedic Institute that I mentioned earlier has now relocated to Asheville, North Carolina, and they kind of rebranded, um, and they acquired a few other businesses like a local yoga studio there, and they're building a retreat center and stuff. So I'm working um, in the marketing department um, for them. And since it's the same, similar fields, there's yoga, Ayurveda, I feel like a lot of what I'm doing, the experience I'm getting there is going to be beneficial to my own studio. That's the reason I decided to do that. Um, so I'm doing that now. I want to, I still haven't made up my mind completely, but I've been thinking about interning with a venture capital firm in Austin this summer. Um, we'll see. I don't know. I still have an interview coming up and I still haven't made up my mind completely. I still want to make sure that's the right thing. I want to look into the experience that I'm actually going to get. But the reason for that was to learn about, um, investing and how people invest in startups, what they look for in startups. And also to still keep myself in the startup world to be, to continue to be exposed, um, in the entrepreneurial world. That was the main reason I wanted to do that. Um, apart from that, I'm still open to, still open-minded looking at opportunities wherever I see things. Um, with the yoga studio, there are, I still can't be as creative. And that's a huge, I like being creative. That's a huge part. So I feel like I would want to have another startup, another company where I can really be more creative. With the yoga studio, it's hard. We can't be as creative because, as you know, it's classical yoga. We want to teach it in a certain way, and we can't make changes however we want because it just doesn't work the same way, and it wouldn't have the same impact on people. So, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> still open, still figuring things out. I don't know. I still don't know. Um, most of my life, it's weird. Most of my life has always been spontaneous even though i'm a very organized person i like planning out like 
I like planning out things a lot and have, being very organized. But at the same time, like after graduate, I don't know what I'm going to do. I make decisions like on the spot. Sometimes I change decisions last minute. But I think that's hugely because I've been trained to be open-minded. And being open-minded means always considering the pros and cons of things and always looking at if there's a better way to do something. And even if it's the last minute and you can do it, it's probably better to change. So there's been many instances where my friends are like, man, we couldn't convince you the other day, but like today you just changed your mind like that. <laughs> I was like, well, I considered other things today. <laughs> um, New information. <laughs> yeah. And entrepreneurship, one thing I want to talk about is how yoga has played a role in my entrepreneurial life. And I think it's had a huge impact in me as an entrepreneur because entrepreneurship is not easy. You're, you're always, there's a lot going on, so much unpredictability and you don't know what's going to happen next. And there's a lot of work, a lot of effort you have to put in a lot of grinding. And I think one way yoga has played a huge impact is just the impact of it on me physically and mentally. It gives me the energy to keep going and do so much more with my time. Um, people always asking me, how do you have the energy to do like so much? You're just continuously doing one thing after the other. Um, but I think yoga has given me that energy and also that ease in the system. And when there's ease, you have a lot more energy to do what you want to do. So in that way, that's one way. And then related to that also mentally having a clear mind, um, every morning I can see the difference when I, if I do my practices and if I don't, I can see how when I do my practices, it just sets a certain mental stability, a certain tone for the rest of the day where I'm a lot more calm and relaxed. And as an entrepreneur, you're always in situations that change, just change like that. And unless you can, you have that balance and stability, the stuff that's happening on the outside is going to impact you. And that's why people get burnt out. They get anxiety, like so many different things because the outside situations are constantly impacting them, how they are within themselves. But yoga is a huge tool that's played a role in my life where the outside still has an impact on me, but not to the extent that it would if I didn't do yoga. Yoga brings a certain balance and stability within me. And it's it's about also about awareness and consciousness. And being an entrepreneur means always being open to what's out there, not being stuck on thinking in a certain way, but always being open-minded to what's around you, being able to see opportunities that other people don't see. And in order to do that, you have to be aware, you have to be more conscious. So I think it ties in really well, um, which most people don't think about yoga. Like I said, they always think about it just as an exercise, but there's a lot of deeper um, significance to it in so many aspects of our lives. And I mentioned that I've been starting to teach yoga at college more this year. Uh, right now, this weekend, I'm actually going to teach a class for the entrepreneurship fraternity um, oh. at UT. And I taught another organization earlier this year in January. And now this or the student org reached out to me and they said, we want you to do a yoga class for us. So I want to be able to show them that, like I try to explain to them 
how this can impact them. And I think it can be beneficial to other entrepreneurs. Um, so they seem receptive. Yeah. They're the ones that reached out to me. I hadn't even proposed it to them. They, were, they knew that, um, as an entrepreneur, I presented myself having the yoga studio and working on my yoga studio. So they know that I've, I have a yoga studio and I teach yoga and I never offered to te- like, I didn't ask them if I could teach them. They just reached out to me recently and they said, Hey, we would love for you to do a yoga session for us. So I'm excited to see what the response is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> um, so I found personally after spending time, uh, just with Isha or going for the teacher training and even just generally like, um, learning more about yoga, I started noticing different elements or aspects of yoga in all sorts of things. When I just look around, like, for example, I noticed, uh, a lot of the movies shifting away from this sense of like, oh, this is the good guy and this is the bad guy. And now it's shifting to like, well, they're both just complex, which I found interesting, especially because um, one of the things Sadhguru said was like, don't condemn the person, condemn the action. And then kind of like what you were saying about how you deal with uh, adversity. I found that all super, super interesting. And I, I just, everywhere I look, I start seeing it. So I'm curious, what do you see when you look around? Do you notice things like that? Um, yeah, I mean, I constantly see that in my life, like I was saying earlier, where people are not, they're stuck in that mindset of this is right, this is wrong. And they're just not open <laughs> to seeing life in, in, in a different way. Um, I always see it like in so many different instances with the people I live with or other friends, I just always see that. They've been set, it's been ingrained to them by society that this is wrong, this is right, this is right, and there are morals and stuff. But, and this is a huge thing actually from the ashram growing up, it's all about being aware, being conscious. It's not, they never say, it's not like this is right and this is wrong. Sadhguru never says you should do this and you shouldn't do this. But it's about seeing being open to seeing how it impacts your life. And it's imp- if it's improving your life in some way, then do it. If it's not, if it's degrading your life or taking you to a lower state, then don't. Um, or you can experience it for yourself. And if that's what you want, go for it. But most people don't. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So coming back to people thought, people always asked me, how is your experience coming from the ashram to your life now? in the U.S. moving to a completely different lifestyle, different like social life, and especially in university. And I always tell people it's it wasn't really that much of a shock. People ask me, was it a shock? And no, it wasn't that much of a shock. It's been pretty smooth, actually. It's not, hasn't been that shocking to me because, again, it wasn't habits. It wasn't that this is right and this is wrong. This is only what you have to do. This is how to be a good yogi. Yeah. Is, yeah. <laughs> The emphasis was on being conscious of what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You can do whatever you want to do as long as you're conscious of the impact it has on your life and the impact it has on the people around you. And that's all that matters. So 
there is no right and wrong. People think growing up in an ashram, they people think people attach religious connotations to it. They think it's a religion. You, there's morals like you have to do this and you don't, but that's not the case. It's you do what you want to do, but be conscious of what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you're doing. And I think that's very important. That's super important for people to, to, to live with, with like that perspective on life, because then you do what truly works for you. Then you take what you take, what works and you don't take what doesn't work from what society is telling you. And that play, then, then you can, you're not stuck in the cycle of what society is putting people in, but you're doing what you really want to do and connecting to entrepreneurship again. You're thinking outside the box and living life different. Mm. And people, I always think about this. If you want to think different, if you want to see different, you have to live different. You have to live a different lifestyle if you want to be able to see things other people don't see. If you do everything everyone else is doing, how are you going to see something that no one else is seeing for entrepreneurs, for entrepreneurship especially? And that's all connected. It all comes down to being aware, being conscious. And that's what I see. And I see that as a solution to like so many problems in today's world. Everything all comes down to, are you being aware of what you're doing? Are you being conscious of the impacts of your actions and the impacts it has on you? I, every single problem I think of, I can always find a solution coming back to that mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, that all that's all that it comes down to. So uh, let's try just like putting that in practice. So like I think um, <clears throat> one big thing a lot of people talk about is, especially in the U.S., they feel like there's becoming this big sort of a divide in terms of people being able to like get along with each other it's it's become like a football game like team red team blue kind of thing yeah so how do you see it yeah that's another thing um people get surprised when i talk about something that may seem from one side but then i have a perspective on something that seems it's on the other side and they're confused because they think you can only be on one side (laughs) (laughs) But you're on my team. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, if you're open, if you're seeing, if you're not, like, that again comes to, like, just following what other people, especially people in my age, I see that it's a thing to just follow what the majority of people do, have the same viewpoints on what most of the people have, especially my age, people in... um, my generation, they're like that. They just want to follow what the popular idea is. But nothing in life is set in stone. Nothing is completely this way or that way. And in order to see what's right in what situation, I think you have to be able to see both sides of it. And if you're not willing to look at both sides, how are you going to come to a solution that's helpful to everyone? There's always going to be someone else that has an issue. And I mean, it's just the same thing, like just being open to looking at the pros and cons. And I think that connects to another thing Sadhguru talks a lot about yoga is 
not looking at any at anything in any specific way looking at things the way they are just the way they are not looking at it with your own um perspectives on it or adding other things to it just, just look at things the way it is for like just look at it the way it is without adding your own ideas to it and perspectives on it um and if you look at it that way then you see what the benefits are and what the the cons are it's just very clear and again that ties into entrepreneurship <laughs> being able to see things just the way they are which most people don't see they always add their own thing to it and it's always seen with their own version like looked at from their own version of it um yeah mm. um there's a lot of talk of statistics and particularly with uh, younger people like i think i saw something like one in three teenage girls in america have like depression or something like this it might be more i don't know um did you notice any, anything when you were just around people your age in school um yeah uh, it's not as visible on the outside but I always hear stories of people um, who've been in depression, uh, people I know, people I may not know, friends, like friends of friends, who I've heard of so many stories where they're in depression, anxiety attacks, um, where they just can't go on with their life. Like it causes a huge pause in their life and just attending to that takes up so much of their time. They have to like stop school completely for a year or something and just focus on trying to improve that. And what, even if it's not that severe, it's happening in minute like doses for people in different like you, you may not be considered depressed, like medically, clinically depressed, but it is happening in different levels for different people. And I think that causes a huge roadblock in what you want to do a huge roadblock and because that takes up more time of your life I mean more time out of your day and you can't it takes time and energy just to attend to that but for me I've seen with the yoga practices that isn't as much of an issue and it gives me so much more time and energy to focus on other things like my energy is not focused on remain remaining sane. My energy is like sane is just natural. It's just normal. I can now focus all the energy into something else. And I think that's, that's important. People have to, there's the medications are not going to improve the situation. It's only going to, for the time being, suppress it a little and it's going to keep coming. And then you're just going to have to take taking medications the rest of your life. And there are so many side effects to the med medications, so many other physical and mental side effects of it that cause even more issues. So I think yoga is a super important tool, especially for people my age, younger people too, uh, that they can use. And that's why I wanted to offer it to people. And that's why I'm taking this step this year to do it more in college and trying to test out what really works for college students. Um, so that they can see what their true potential is and realize that they can do so much more with their lives once that's taken care of. Mm. Where would you recommend they start? <clears throat> uh, 
I'm still figuring, I'm still figuring out what is best for college students for the amount of like time they're willing to spend on it. But there are simple meditations already available online. Um, <clears throat> the Isha Kriya meditation, Chit Shakti meditations, which are all free available online for anyone um, to use the guided meditations that can help people. But I want to figure out like a yoga class that I can teach that really works and it has to be affordable for them because they can't afford expensive classes. So it has to be affordable, but it also has to be impactful, but it also has to be entertaining. So <laughs> they have the patience to sit in the class and go through it. So I'm just testing out different things and seeing, trying to figure out what works. Mm. This is the point where we plug your yoga. <laughs> come, come talk to someone. <laughs> Find out. Um, no, I, I, I agree. It's kind of hard to give like a blanket fix. You just kind of have to talk to people and see what's going to work. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so I guess toward the end of this uh, conversation, we'll just sort of talk about the future a little bit like where do you when you when you look ahead to the next five years what do you see <clears throat> i see the next maybe three to five years as being crucial in developing the skills um, i want to develop and that may put a backseat on earning how much I could be earning if I wasn't, but I think it's very important to focus on building the skills I want to build because it's going to pay off at the end. So <clears throat> I think next three to five years, I'm going to be working really hard being, it's going to be super hectic. It already has started this year <laughs> because I've decided like the beginning of this year, I made like decided I had some goals in mind and I've been working towards that. So managing school, my yoga studio and other work and internship, everything requires a lot of time, but I'm able to manage it again because of this steady foundation that I built with yoga that's allowing me to do so many different things. So I think the next, but I'm glad to be done with school because it's going to give me a lot more time that I can focus on my career. And I love it. Like it's very interesting. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm super excited for the journey and I'm constantly learning. That's all that matters to me. As long as I'm learning, that means I'm in the right direction. So it's going to be a couple years of pushing myself beyond my limits. Um, really grinding, <laughs> working hard. Uh, and we'll see. I, I really have no idea where I'm going. I just take things as they come. Coco. Cool, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so before we wrap up, is there any other, anything else you want to say or <coughs> message you want to give? Actually, Shrav, do you have any questions? No, well, I'm actually fascinated because how many things are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mention, <laughs> I didn't mention everything. <laughs> Even more. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anything, final words? 
I think one thing I've learned recently, just reflecting back, um, last month I was just reflecting. I've gotten into the habit of writing a journal every. Um, well, it's separate from my journal. I write a journal um, every day as much as I can. Sometimes I miss it, but I write every Tuesday. I've been trying to work on my content writing skills and my writing skills. So every Tuesday I've decided this year to spend only five minutes writing about anything. It can be anything. Um, generally, most of the time it's me reflecting on the week, what I've learned from the past week um, or anything. It can be anything. And I was reflecting on, I realized that the last year I've been so focused on the goals that I forgot to enjoy the process. And I realized that once I reach a goal, there's always going to be that next, this next goal. We're always going to desire for more, the next thing and the next thing. And last year I was just on just going thing after thing. And the whole year ended and I was like, whoa, <laughs> the whole year has gone by. And I didn't really cherish the moments like, I, the time that it takes, like the process is where most of life is not the goal, not reaching the goals because the process is what gets you to the goal. And that is the majority of your life. So if I don't be aware and take time to realize that, to like, even just be aware of everything that's happening every moment as I'm doing it and cherish the small things in day-to-day -day interactions in the process of getting where I want to be, I'm not going to be fulfilled because I'm always going to be looking for the next thing. So I know we all, like Sadhguru talks about this a lot, but I don't know. I got into that for a year and then took a step back and realized, and now um, I'm trying to really be fully aware and like cherish all the moments, every interaction I have and realizing that no matter what I'm doing in every interaction, there's always a way to improve someone else's life. Whether what I have, what I don't have doesn't matter. There's always a way I can help someone. And I think that's what will give me the fulfillment because at the end of the day, our experience is what we have, not the things we gather, none of that. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, before we close, do you want to do a few like rapid fire questions to finish it up? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. So just whatever pops in your head. Favorite book? Rich Dad Poor Dad. Oh, interesting. Um, Actually, Atomic Habits. I'm going to have to change that. Atomic, Atomic Habits. Habits. <laughs> All right. Amended. <laughs> um, mountains or beach? Beach. Hmm. Uh, favorite food? Oh, God. It's a hard tie between Indian and Mexican, but I'll say Indian. Texas, I mean. <laughs> I'll say Indian. Indian okay. food. Yeah, for sure. Indian. <laughs> okay. Um, favorite music? Hmm. I like a mix of pop. Actually, house. A little bit of EDM and pop. Okay. Uh, guilty pleasure. Desserts. I love desserts. desserts. <laughs> like what? Any dessert. Anything. I just love desserts. <laughs> My man. 
Um, do you have any little, like, not like you need to make it your life goal, but like small dreams that just, if, if the opportunity came, would really make you happy? Being able to be financially stable enough where I can really focus on yoga, teaching yoga and um, transmitting yoga to people. Um, yeah. Uh, has there ever been a phrase or a, a joke or something that a child said that just stuck with you? I can't think of anything. <laughs> okay. Do you have one? That's why you're asking the question. Do you have one? Do I have one? Um, so for me, there was uh, one of Shrav's um, family. She was about 10 at the time. And it's not that she said one thing. It was just I was amazed at this uh, girl's ability to just grasp everything at 10. Like I couldn't, I was not there when I was 10. I was fun. I was like, la la la, but I did not, I would never have been able to like understand coding at the same time, like this and that, like just so able to perceive. Yeah. And it, it just, it made me so happy. Just that, that moment being there. Nice. Um, Who's uh, a friend who you cherish? I have a lot of friends. It's hard to pick. <laughs> it doesn't have to be like best friend. It doesn't mean like who pops in your head. Right now, my friend Jared um, pops up because he's been the person I've been in touch with most recently who's super close to me. Uh, he's just awesome person to be with very fun person energetic um loves traveling so and loves doing spontaneous things trips um and his story is just um very inspiring to me of what he's been through and where he is right now in his life is inspires me so yeah mm. favorite game monopoly really <laughs> yeah <laughs> the game that ends in tears <laughs> For me, it never ends in tears. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like games that require a lot of brain work. Like I don't, I'm lazy for games. I don't like like brain power. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. And lastly, if you can arrange a vacation tomorrow, and Everything can just be arranged. No problem. Where are you going? Hawaii. Hawaii? Yeah. What's that? I just love beaches. Um, I love islands and beaches. And it looks amazing. I haven't been there yet, so I want to go. Yeah. And it has mountains and beaches. I love both. So. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, so that's it for the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, would you like to share, like, if someone wants to get a hold of you, maybe talk to you about classes or anything? Uh, how do they get a hold of you? Um, yeah, they can reach out. My yoga website is boundlessyoga.org. 
B-O-U-N-D-L-E-S-S dot O-R-G. I'll put it in the description. Yeah. <laughs> you got it. Um, and then... You're on social media? Social media. Um, so my yoga Instagram page is boundless underscore yoga, I think. Yeah, boundless underscore yoga. And my Instagram is Savin S... Well, I don't remember. I don't know the username. We'll, we'll put um, it in the description. We can put it in the description, yeah. Cool, cool. All right. Well, thank you so much. This was of really course. wonderful. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share about my life. For sure. All right, guys. Uh, that's it for today. And we'll see you in the next one. <laughs> cool, cool. All right. Did it. <laughs>